Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone. Yeah! Yeah! Dragon Talk! I love you. I'm excited to introduce this, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito. Yeah, you are. And I'm joined by who? Shelly Mazanoble. Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo. You are here. I am here. Take it all the way. All the way to Chinatown. And back to uh, the Forgotten Realms. Love it. Let's or go. to Eberron. Or to Mythic Odysseys of Theros. We're going to go on a little trip. It shall happen. What do you think? Oh, it's happening. Oh. And it's happening for a lot of people right now. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people are playing in this wonderful new setting. That's right. Uh, it is quite mythic. Uh, I actually don't have a physical copy. I've not uh, get, gotten them yet because I haven't been in the office in a short while. Uh, but I'm excited about talking through all of the deities as we've done on Lore You Should Know segments. Uh, they've been super fun. Um, and you should pick it up in your local game store if you possibly can because there is a wealth of information there for Dungeons & Dragons players, Dungeon Masters, uh, to incorporate in your game if you're doing a full-blown uh, Theros campaign or just want to you know, infuse some nice Greek myth-like stuff within your uh, fantasy. I'm in. You're all in. Yes. Yes. One of those things that, that just lends itself so perfectly to D&D. That's I true. Am, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And we're not getting, DMing it, but I'm going to play it. You are going to DM it. I know you no, are. I'm not going to do it. We are also really excited about Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which is arriving on September 15th. It's going to be very, very exciting for all of you. Uh, there are alternate covers for that as well, uh, one of which is created by Hydro74, who's done a whole bunch of our alternate covers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe the cover is done by Tyler Jacobson. Is I that correct? I believe you're right. He is a wonderful illustrator that you may have seen uh, or whose work you may have seen in many a D&D product and a Magic the Gathering product. Yes. Uh, it is uh, actually one of my kind of ending spells in one of the decks I play with. I always see like, oh, artist Tyler Jacobson at the bottom. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Oh, Yes, we we are big fans of Tyler Jacobson in this house. Whenever Quinn opens up magic cards, he always looks for the Tyler cards. Really? Yeah, and then he pulls them out separate, and he's like, here's like the cool magic cards I got. Here's my Tyler Jacobson cards. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, And uh, the cover for uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden that he did features a wonderful aspect of... uh, let's say, the antagonist in that storyline, and it is one of my favorites. So yes. uh, look for that coming on September 15th, as I said. Um, both covers are quite beautiful, I will say. We announced uh, a couple of things in the last few weeks, uh, which we'll get to in a second, because I want to make sure everyone knows that we are talking to Gabe Hicks today uh, for our interview segment, a wonderful cosplayer, D&D designer, and uh, all-around stand-up person. Uh, and we can't We, I mean, I think as we were preparing for this interview, me and Shelly are very interested in several of his projects, including uh, yeah. Dating Simulator, which is right up Shelly's Goblin. Eye. I know, I know, I know. It's going to be really awesome. So uh, look for that. And then in the meantime, let's talk about some fun uh, things that we announced, Shelly. 
something you were working on a lot. The Great Delmuti Dungeons and Dragons. This is a, uh, if you're not familiar with the Great Delmuti, it is a card game that was published by Wizards of the Coast 25 years ago. It is the anniversary, in fact. Um, it was a Richard Garfield design based on a, a very popular game that we've all played in one way or another called President. It was called something different when I played it in college. There's um, an A involved. There was an A involved. It is such a fun game. Four to eight players. Total party game. Get it with your friends. Get it with your family. You're you're gonna have just have pure chaos and pure fun. And we have uh, to celebrate the anniversary. We've created a new version. Same game, same rules, but this beautiful new artwork by Harry Conway, who um, has become one of my favorite illustrators. His yeah. style is like dark and moody, and very inspired by like samurai uh, art styles. And he's a delight. And it it's stunning. You will you will love the artwork. I promise you. I guarantee it. Um, so if you're looking to add just a really fun, light little card game into your repertoire, this one comes out in November, and I highly recommend it. Great the card stuffer. artwork. Yeah. Well, that's a great idea. Yeah. To yeah. be able to just drop it in there. It's got a small form factor, uh, and it is beautiful. The it art, really the is. card artwork. Um, you know, it it you you could have just done like oh we're just going to recycle artwork from the player's handbook or something like that for this reskin but no the new newly commissioned stuff um really does evoke a certain mood and uh i think people are going to want to you know, even decorate their game rooms with uh some so. some versions of yeah. the artwork it's really really neat it's really cool and we and we we actually did change the names of the cards too to make them more D&D flavored and Adam Lee even wrote a really beautiful little poem that you'll find Aww. in the rule book. That's so, cool. Yeah. And yeah. What, what's your favorite card? Does it have an S in it? <laughs> it has four S's in it. The Baroness. Not a typical. Is she, is, is she a yuan or some type of... Like uh, a Medusa. A Medusa. So it's yes. all this... Yes. I love that. Shauna kept trying to take out those S's. <laughs> And I kept putting them back in. It's not a she typo, a, Shauna. It's she not takes her typography very seriously. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate her uh, her wanting to uh, make sure it was all consistent. But then also I really like the joke. So, you know. That was all Adam Lee. That's so fun. Yep. I love it. Great. Uh, what's the price point on that? How much does it cost for people? It's $14.95. That is, mm-hmm. And that's a game that you can just replay over and over For and over hours again. and awesome. hours and hours and hours and hours of entertainment. And don't we all need hours of entertainment right now? We need a game that we can play several rounds of uh, back this to back to it. back. And that's this it for sure. I love that. Great. Yeah. Uh, we also uh, recently announced Curse of Strahd Revamped. Uh, yes. Which is a reissue uh, special edition of... The Curse of Strahd adventure, gothic horror at its finest uh, from Chris Perkins. And there's a lot of fun stuff in that coffin-shaped box. It's uh, a coffin shape. It, it is. It legitimately is. It is. And it's fantastic. What are some of the cool stuff that's uh, that's in there that you're excited for? I'm, I love these postcards. There's beautiful, beautiful postcards for unique designs and just a really fun, like, welcome to Barovia art style. And you can... You, Frame them, keep them for yourself, or you can send them to your friends and invite them to a very spooky game night that spooky. perhaps you want to host, maybe around Halloween, because um, 
this game comes out on October 20th. This uh, adventure, you mean? Yes. Yes. Sorry. October 20th, right before the Halloween. I know a lot of people are talking about Halloween, at least in my Twitter feed. I don't know if you saw it, but there's this... uh, Smoke breathing dragon that I think I, was yes. advertised on uh, the Home Despot uh, website there yes. for, uh, and it looks very much like a fantasy dragon that is, you know, adorning my game room table yes. right now. Uh, and so everyone's getting excited about Halloween. And so, what better way to plan a perhaps online get together is to play uh, a, a campaign of in Barovia? I mean. Which, if Dungeons and Dragons doesn't just scream Halloween, I don't know what does. Halloween. If you need a coffin-shaped box to delight all of your friends, yes. Mm-hmm. So let's do this. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that's $99.99. Is that mm-hmm. how, how much Curse of Strahd revamped is? You get a whole bunch of stuff, including uh, the postcards you mentioned, uh, oversized Taroka deck uh, Oh, my God, the Taroka deck. With foil Beautiful, like foil stamped. Yeah, know, they're so great. They're gorgeous. Um, uh, map. A booklet of those same Taroka cards that you can uh, display however you want. And the mm-hmm. adventure itself is broken up into ways that you can play into, it a lot yeah. easier. Yes. Uh, and a Dungeon Master screen. In three too, different right? books. Yes, there's a Dungeon Master screen in there. And there's great. some Curse of Strahd art. You're mm-hmm. just going to, when you open it, you're going to be like, oh, good job. I, I, I like it. Just the way it's um, all packed out. Very thoughtful. I will just give a shout out to Beetle and Grimm's uh, Pandemonium Warehouse because they yes. are also uh, creating a legendary edition of Curse of Strahd, which will be released around that same time frame. Um, it's a higher price point uh, than ours, but uh, you get a, a even more amount of goodiness uh, within it, including Devon Rue's uh, map of Barovia. Oh well, see, that uh, that's worth it just right there. Exactly. Yes. That's going to be really good. Um, and if you are curious to see the contents of the Curse of Strahd, you can Google um, IGN Curse of Strahd because they did a really beautiful unboxing with an interview um, with Chris Perkins. So all of your questions will be answered. Exactly. Great a stuff. Feast within for your that, eyes. Uh, and within that video and article. Uh, so check it out. IGN's yep. got the scoop there. Great. Well, I think that's all the fun stuff we wanted to talk about here in our intro, right, Shelley? Yeah, lots of good stuff. And even you talked to some excellent person about how to dungeon master, I believe. Oh my gosh! One more tick of uh, the checkboxes I'm getting you to get behind the screen. I'm not going to spoil it, but Rob Gruber was my guest. Rob um, owns a, a game shop in British Columbia, and he talks a lot about his town, which sounds like a magical fairy tale place. And he's doing amazing things, bringing kids into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. And um, I was interested in talking to him because I feel like with a lot of schools going remote this fall, we need some creative ways to keep our kids engaged and how to teach them things. And I thought, you know what? I'm doing Dungeons and Dragons. This might actually be what pushes me over the edge and gets behind a screen because I really want to play D&D with Quinn and his friends. Nice. And sign Fiona he, up for that because she wants to do it, but she you're gonna have a run for her money. Be, I know. She wants to be the dungeon master. Well, I've <laughs> I have been running into that as well with Quinn when I'm like, I'm gonna play D and D with you. Like I'm and he goes, Well, cool. I wanna be the storyteller. I'm like, Ugh, kid, I'm trying here. But yeah. 
So I love that kids. Did you let your mom have a little bit of focus? I mean, my God, you take everything from me. You have literally (laughs) taken everything. You've taken my beauty. You've taken all (laughs) my youth, my money, (laughs) our spare room in our house. (laughs) (laughs) All of my energy, you've sapped it. Those Lunchables take up so much room in the fridge. I mean. Lunchables for that. I ain't got time to make this kid lunch. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You know how excited he gets when I'm like, you want a Lunchable? It's like, right. I mean, asking an adult, do you want a new car? Do you want to go on vacation? Like what? To him, Lunchables. Oh, good Lunchables. My kids are like the same thing like that, except for ramen noodles. They're like, Mm. oh my God, this is the greatest day of my life. Check their sodium. (laughs) (laughs) Check your sodium. Drink lots of water. Yeah. Um, But Rob was a tremendous, tremendous resource. I think you will love this interview with him. Excellent. Well, let's uh, give a listen to uh, Shelly's How to DM segment right about now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Be a DM. I have a wonderful guest. I am so excited to talk to Rob Gruber, who is, um, among many things, also the owner of Good Time Games Store in British Columbia. And the reason why I'm talking to Rob today is about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, dungeon mastering for kids. So, Rob, I told you this uh, when I initially approached you is I was asking around if you know people had good resources for DMing for kids and your name popped up quite a bit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, um, some of, of your background, how you got into D&D and these amazing things that you're doing for kids. Sure thing. Yeah. Um, well, Dungeons and Dragons plays a big, big part of everything we do here at my store. So we've got over 400 kids in our Heroes of Hawthorne program. 400 kids? 400 kids. That's uh, bigger each. than some schools. Yeah, yeah. It's each, you know, in some weeks, we're, you know, we, uh, we can't even book enough sessions to keep everybody happy. Oh, my but, God. Um, so, yeah, f- over 400 that have been playing our Heroes program has been active for about nine years here in the store. And how that started out was um, mostly just me DMing for my son and his friends. And then I, you know, it spreads to people hear about it or one of the other kids wants to do a birthday party or something like that. And it, I was getting parents asking. So I thought, I'd, well, I better start developing a program. So that story has been, the Heroes program has been going on in the same kind of location with the same characters for nine, nine years. Um, and then go back another five or six with my son and his crew who are now, some of them are now my young dungeon masters here in the store or, or my camp, you know, my camp dungeon masters and supervisors. We've got that, and that's kind of spun off. We did have a small group of, you know, probably two two groups of little girls that became the girls of Hawthorne, and they they have uh, one of my employees, a young lady named Olivia, that she runs that campaign for them. I write the story, and then she she runs them through it, and we kind of adjust it to to kind of fit that group a little bit better. And I've also got a giant. Well, I, I did have some of the some of the kids' moms wanted to understand a little bit more about. Dungeons and Dragons. They just wanted to be able to connect with their kids at the dinner table and maybe speak the same language and understand what, why those kids are so enthusiastic, so excited at the end of the day when they come home from camp or come home from D&D. So I put together a little, it was supposed to be a one-shot adventure for these six moms. And that's been about four years now and spun off to about 70 moms 
of all ages. Some aren't even moms. Some, some, yeah, some aren't even moms. Some are, some are just don't have kids, but they just want the social is a big draw. The social is huge. Um, it's, it's, it's a night where they get to be a superhero, get to step out of their regular life, come down and have a laugh and have a potluck and eat well. And we adventure and have some fun. And that story has been going on for four years. It's a pretty compelling story. And they, uh, None of them come, well, maybe one or two of those 70 come from a role-playing background. Like, all of them learned here in my store. So, you know, for the most part, the kids, too. I'd say probably 95% of our players here in Prince Rupert, in, at least in good times, are have learned here in our program and are, you know, play only in, in the store kind of thing. Okay. Pretty that exciting. is incredible. Yeah. So, you're obviously doing something right when you are teaching people D&D for these groups to explode and to continue yeah. for years. Yeah, most of our players are, have been with me six or more years and still excited to come week after week to play. So, so all right, so what's the secret? How are we uh, teaching people? I don't or I don't even know where to begin with you. There's yeah, there's well, so much to well, cover. We'll, we'll touch on some of the things that really worked for have worked for me in my system. I think a lot of it does boil down to to me and my personality and and the personality of my young DMs. We yeah. place a lot of priority on fun and narration and the story and the overall long-term story more so than the than the rules like you'll never see me open a rule book i will never i'll I'll common sense rule every situation and i can think it up and you know the logs minus one the the rocks are you know there's lots of handholds you get plus one you know i just i don't have to look anything up i can i can kind of common sense rule my way through any situation and, and that's for kids, that's really important because as soon as I open a DMG or a book or something, try to find a modifier, I've lost those guys. In one minute, you've lost the whole room. And, you know, we do really short ses- sessions so we can keep everybody's attention, like dialed in. Our, our kids' sessions are two and a half hours. And that's a so short our, session? That's a short session for, for those guys, yeah. I mean, okay. you got to factor in about 15 minutes of pooling around at the beginning and 15 minutes of pooling around at the end and, and those kind of things. And, and lots of... I don't want to call them stupid questions, but there's a lot of questions that don't pertain to what's going on a lot of the time. So. Oh, yeah. I've spent enough time around kids yeah, to, see, so, to see how they can spiral very easily. I think, you know, one of the things that I've sort of come to realize slowly over the years is uh, I break the rules in the fact that I run a very slow progression. So these kids that have been with me for six years, they're just level six. Whoa. And they've, some of them have played every weekend for those six years kind of thing. So um, they really get attached to those characters. And what that does is it helps me have that kid that's been playing for five years now be in a group with a kid that just started last week because he's only level five, six. The level one guy, they can, they can still take on the same threats, right, at that point. So, so slow progression has been really, really crucial for me. We do milestone and we do it really slow. So it's, it's really exciting when a kid levels up. It's, it's like a birthday. It's a big deal and it means everything to that kid and new powers and new, you know, they have things that they can only unlock at level seven or whatever. And all that stuff really, really makes it special. And it makes it, it attaches them. Like they are their characters. There's lots of kids in my community here that get called by their character name. Some, oh you know, some kids don't know the kid's real name. I mean, they just call him Finnegan Jones. You know, that's, that's the way it is. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah, the, the so. leveling, though, that's kind of surprising because I, I guess uh, I would have assumed that with kids, like there's got to be the constant reward and the constant incentive to, you know, keep them invested and interested. But you're saying 
it's on a kind of um, on a yearly basis they get this? Yeah, it's almost like a yearly type thing. You know, they might get to level two or level three fairly fairly rapidly, uh, mm-hmm. but then you know we explain that it's it you know takes a lot of work and there's a lot of commitment and it helps them to make good decisions. It helps them like they we have a kind of a rule in effect if you're if you're not contributing to the team and stuff you won't get experience for the day if you're just you know not not dialed in there's no i've got a wait list you know like you shouldn't be here if you don't really want to be here kind of thing so right so we award experience for contributing we award experience our dms are good at at noting who's involved and who's you know playing a role and really try at least trying to to be part of the team so those kind of things will gain you experience and and uh we re, you know we reward good decisions and good actions and we we penalize or there's consequences to making foolish decisions and, and pulling, you know, boners through the, through the adventure kind of thing. It's just like real life. Yeah. It's like real life for sure. I mean, you, you know, that's, it's, the world needs a few more heroes. And if I can help make a couple, then oh, let's, say, uh, let's do that. I'd say you are. And I should also say why, what was the um, impetus for why I really wanted to talk to you and maybe other um, caregivers and, and parents out there are feeling the same, but we, the, I, I mean, one thing I I want to introduce kids to D and D because I think it's it's just good for them. And I like the, just listening to you talk and you're kind of reinforcing all of that is like you are, they are learning things. You know, like your actions have oh, consequences yeah. and hard work. You know, begets rewards, and oh, you have to like help. Yeah, work as a team. Like when you're saying uh-huh. you have a fifth or sixth level character and playing with a first level character, that character has to kind of look after that first level Definitely, character. Yeah, they, they'll rally to one another. It's it's especially in in the girls. The girls are really good at oh, standing standing beside one another. You know, someone does one of their membership wrong and you've incurred the wrath of the entire group. They're, they rally how, and they, they will put their girls own are. lives on the line to defend <laughs> you know, to, to vend one of their own. And, and it's amazing to see. And it just, uh, you know, raises little hairs on the back of your neck because it, it is. they're and very, very dialed in, very into it. And these are lessons like, you know, they will, they will take these with them. This, this does yeah. imprint on you in real life. So I got the, the message, the email from uh, Seattle Public Schools saying they were going to recommend remote learning in the fall, um, which was great, fine, whatever. But, um, you know, it was a struggle doing it in the spring. And my first instinct was, we're going to play D&D. Like, if we got to do this homeschooling thing, I'm, I'm going to pack as much into as a fun of a, an, a, an activity as I can think of. And that would be D&D. And if it's safe, you know, we have a lot of kids on our street. They all go to the same school. Many of them are in the same grade. If it's safe, you know, we can talk about having them come over and we can actually have a, an actual D&D group and I can work in things from their curriculum into this game but like honestly like they're gonna learn reading they're gonna learn Definitely. math they're gonna learn they're gonna learn it so yeah. there's lots of stuff that you that you know I think you learn from uh Dungeons and Dragons socially yeah you know educationally there's a lot of things that you and that can, stuff's important like that is yeah. stuff that's really hard to teach like the social the um emotional the empathy all of that well definitely i know i know that uh you know when when homeschooling started here in in prince rupert the first thing i did was um you know make sure there was lots of word problems and different things on our hawthorne facebook page for the kids to engage with and they they love they would rather figure out how many stones it takes to make the bridge 
even though that's the same question they're getting asked in school. But when, when you know, when Harvey the Dwarf asks them, it's totally different <laughs> than, than just the teacher asking them. So we, we yeah. did a bunch of those kind of things. I did a bunch of word problems. I did a bunch of coloring pages and different things that I, I just wanted to keep my, uh, my cause the store was closed. So we weren't hosting anything and you know, they were missing D and D and they were missing all of our, all of our things that we offered. Our sure. first thing was uh, spring break. We can't, we had 64 kids. We had to, uh, that we couldn't host for 64 kids over spring break that we had to, you know, ask their parents to, to defer it till summer, those kind of things. Um, which is crazy. And those kids were heartbroken. And so by doing the coloring pages and doing the, we had, a, we had some parents step up and, and have some prizes that we awarded randomly for the kids that were, you know, did the coloring pages and did the word problems and maybe help the ranger find his way home. And we did a, like, you know, left, uh, north, south, east, west kind of thing. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, teach them a little bit about the compass because they're, they're, some of them are six, seven, eight years old. So they're pretty young. So, um, you know, how much money does it take to get this much elven beans to make the potion that they need and a lot of things like that. And because I could put a fantasy spin on it, parents said the kids wanted to do it. They were jumping all over it. Now, if I threw a sheet down in front of them with the numbers on it, with no fantasy spin and no narration and no NPCs that they've grown to know and love, um, they wouldn't want to do that. Not not when they got days off, right? Yeah. I love what you said, like the that they'll do it if Harry the Dwarf asks them to do it. So Definitely. You know, that, that's like, it's, it's, this, this is what I, I'm, I think this could be very helpful for other parents and caregivers who might be responsible for, you know, assisting their, their kids with learning this fall. There is, there are ways to do it. Employ yeah. Harry the Dwarf yeah, we, to, to do it. We've definitely seen some, some forward thinking parents already get on board and start with a starter set, a D&D starter set. Mm-hmm. and learn to DM themselves. They'd never played all their life and they're learning to DM for their kids or two kids and a cousin kind yeah. of thing. And there's a lot of those little groups have sprung, sprung up here in Prince Rupert now uh, just with you know really concerned parents doing the right thing. So that's what I, I would love to get your advice on, a couple of things. Well, a lot of things. And I'm already like, oh, this is going to be like a multi-parter. I hope you're up no for worries. it. No worries, yeah, but, I, I'm um, willing. How, like, the best ways to engage younger kids um, and get them started, but also, like, you don't have to run out and, you know, get the starter set or the essentials kit or whatever, but, like, what what are some of the tenets of D&D that you can incorporate into Wow. into learning because you know what when my my son is doing some summer learning and they sent a kit and in that kit was t- d10s yeah. and i was like what's yeah, going on here and like there's a million dice games in that are are part of his his math homework and they're like pull out your d10s and yeah. and he loves it like he's just like can we go do you want to go play that math game and i'm like kids love rolling yeah. dice no, we know. they do they so, totally do kids love rolling dice and that's one of the one of the, like we were talking about how do you how do you attract kids? How do you make it attractive for kids to play Dungeons yeah. and Dragons? And definitely that rolling dice. So you know, give them a chance even at everything. Let them roll a dice. Just let okay. let them roll the dice, right? Like you you narrate. They have an idea. Let them roll the dice. You let them roll the dice, and they feel engaged instantly. They feel uh, part of the story, part of what's going on. So that dice rolling mechanic that uh, Dungeons and Dragons and many other games have is is crucial, especially for the younger kids. Um, another thing is the storytelling. The storytelling, if you can kind of tailor it to the age group, you can. Like I, I don't want to say we, you know, my stories. I don't really um, like temper it down. I write adult stories and then I put a 
you know, voice spins and different things on it for the kids. But they're the same stories I would run for my ladies group. They're the same kind of story. You know, I maybe clean it up a little bit, those kind of things. But um, for kids, they want they don't want you to treat them any different than than the older players. And they don't want you to treat them any different than the adult players. They want to do the same adventures and they want to have a chance at succeeding at the, mm-hmm. the big, the big goal at the end. So by just making it possible for kids to have a, have a turn, that's, that's big. My yeah. stories will showcase a different character class, a different, you know, I give everybody a chance to be the hero. Might not be this week, might be next week that the, you know, the cleric gets to be the, play the big role, but making sure everybody has, has a role and has a, a chance to be heroic. You know, my dad was one of the guys that when I was young, he said, never turn your back on the chance to be a hero. So that's, you know, that's kind of my motto. And so that's, I roll that out in the D&D. I give everybody a chance to, to be the big hero when they come upstairs from the, from the game room and they're excited. They want to tell me what happened, even though I wrote it, but uh, <laughs> you know, they want to tell me exactly what happened and how it went that's down. Cool. And it's great that someone always gets a chance to be, to have the big, you know, the final, the final yeah. blow or the big, or the big important role in, in the session. And, and I think by having the short two and a half hour session and just jam packing with excitement for everybody and great narration, I always, you know, start with a, a little catch up that lets them, you know, immerse themselves in what they're doing, even if they weren't there last week kind of thing. So I think narration and dice rolling, those are, those are vital. And then just, letting everybody have a turn because nobody at the table, whether it's the DM or any of the players, nobody's fun should come at the expense of anybody else. Right. You know, they got to work together and, and have fun as a group or, you know, someone's, someone can only have fun by, you know, making someone else's experience lesser than we can't have that person. There. So how do you manage that? If, you know, uh, do you do, do you manage that in game or is it something you talk to the kid about afterwards or does, do you usually, call it out on usually the spot? afterwards? Well, wouldn't make our DMS know to, you know, nip it at the bud and say something at the time. Definitely. You don't want things to go on for two hours. Uh, you know, right. someone feels that they're, you know, being slighted. Um, so there'll be, you know, something said right then, but then after it's always the talk with Rob. So, I mean, nobody really, oh, nobody okay. wants that talk with Rob when they come Uh-oh. upstairs um, and, you know, if I have to talk to parents about, you know, an attitude or, or something, or maybe the, the, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I've always got a wait list, so I don't need any one person to be there. You know, if you're not going to fit the, fit the group, I'm sorry, you're going to not, not be able to come. And that, you know, that, as soon as I say that, that usually puts an end to anything that might be, you know, might be, doesn't fit our program kind of thing. So I'm still really surprised that your games are two and a half hours because that just seems like a a long time. But this is like, I mean, you said like, yeah, there's a little bit of table talk in the beginning, but like 10 yeah. minutes or so. But well, then I mean, like, they, they, what's they happening? down and have some weird ideas in the middle too. And we've got, I've always got leeway to shorten or to lengthen uh, our, our, our play day. So, you know, if there's a lot of goofing around and, and every, I mean, in the end, we just want everybody to have fun. So if they're about having fun talking about what happened at school, you know, we let them have some fun. I'm not going to say, Hey, it's D and D time. You know, like everybody dial in. No, we let them, we let them have fun and then I'll tailor the adventure. I'll make it fit our time constraints um, or, or extend it if need be, if they're, you know, really rapidly going through things, I'm, I can extend things. And that's just, that, that just comes on experience, I think. And, even though my, my DMs are anywhere between 15 and 20, uh, they're young, they're kids themselves. They have learned it and are, you know, they run so many adventures that they're, they're experts now. 
they're at least they're experts in the in the good times method. Uh, our guys, you know, my son, he's 23 and he's been DMing so many of our summer camps for years already. So he's got a world of experience. You know, you might as well be a 40 year old, you know, neckbeard guy. <laughs> is the is being a DM something that these you're finding these kids are striving for? Is that like yeah, everybody wants level. a job here? Everybody mm-hmm. wants a job at good times. Uh, they want to be part of our summer camp program. And, and, you know, it gives me a chance to work with their parents. Uh, we, we ask that the kids be on the honor roll and be on the effort roll and contribute on a sports team or a drama club or something in their school. Oh my God. Because I, I have, I have the choice of everybody. So, you know, if I, if I can help those kids do a little bit better, yeah, um, their parents sure appreciate it. Yep. And they, they feel like they've earned that job and they really, it's, it's like a cult like mentality here at good times. They just, everybody wants to be here and it, it's a, it's a, it's a great job. Everybody wants to contribute and be part of the, the overall, the overall program. Well, it's like any extracurricular activity. A lot of, of those do require, like you have to have a certain GPA to, to be in yeah, it. And sure. So I like the way that, that you've tied that together. I've got a, I've got a great story. One of my past employees who's now gone on to university and, and, you know, great things, but he was a, uh, he was a C, C minus student. But he was one of our best players in number games, magic and, and kaijudo and a bunch of different games. He was, you know, I knew he was smart. He was just not, not, uh, not engaged at school. Right. And so, but he wanted a job back. He was turning 14. He wanted a job so bad. So I told his mom, I says, I can't hire him. Uh, you know, we ha- we request that he be on the honor roll and the effort roll and those kind of things. He's already ha- got the other stuff, but, and it took one term for that kid to go from a C student to an honor roll student. That's Amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and then oh, he went on. He's, he's in the process of an engineering degree now. So I mean, you know, he's really maybe that was a turning point. Was that job at Good Times, right? But yeah. he, en- he ended up being one of our main DMs for the older kids, and you know, really, really had a successful time here while he was here at Good Times. But that's you, a great, great story. I mean, I, I'm glad. It's I could, really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Give him something he wants, right, and, and motivate him the right way. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, when you have put your groups together, are you putting the kids like around the, in the same age group together or experience together or just mix it up? Well, no, our, our age runs from six to about 13 for the Heroes okay. program. So they don't get very old. They're all pretty young still. And um, it's just because there's so many, I've got a parents group and I'll say, these are the sections this week and I'll announce it on that group and they just fill it. And parent, you know, kids with friends try to, get their parents to sign them up for the same, same yeah. group. But you might be playing with a different group every time for a 52 weeks. It might oh, be really? Yeah, it could be different guys all the time. Are and you how playing we do the it, same story? Yeah, how does that same work? Same story. So how we do that, uh, and this, this is, again, part of our success. Let's say I've got seven groups playing in a certain session this week, seven different groups. Well, if four of them succeed and go, or go a certain way, that's how the story progresses. So the greater amount changes the story. You know, so if I've got seven groups playing, you need four to go to go right, and that's the way the group goes, and it uh, makes it makes it pretty good that way. That's you've you've got it all figured out. I can tell this is that's pretty incredible. Um, okay, so the kids that I think I would be uh, playing D and D with are six and seven, maybe one eight year old. Yeah. Um, and they're all new to this. And I actually found my, but I was, one of them is extremely, extremely shy. And I, that's why I was like, 
I want her to play D&D. I feel like she will burst out of her shell if she um, played D&D. So I was trying to explain it to her, and I realized like she was just like, huh? I have no idea. Like, what's a game that doesn't have pieces? What's a game that doesn't have a board? Like, what's a game that does? you're saying it doesn't even have rules? How is this yeah. a game? So I guess that's uh, step one is... In, in actually introducing them to D&D at the table. And then I'm really curious about their characters and how you do the character creation. But let's start with like the actual, like we are sitting down together for the first time. Nobody has played D&D. Nobody has seen a D20 except for my son. But that's it. Yeah, usually I, I, I just tell them it's, uh, it's a big storytelling session. It's like drama club. Uh, we're going to do some make-believe. A lot of times I'll show them it is it, D&D is one of those things that's very difficult to kind of describe without actually just going and doing it. The easiest way for everybody to learn how to play is to sit and play. And then, it, you know, yeah. if you're timid, you're shy, um, it all starts to fall into place once you sit at the table and you, you hear the narration and you find out you are Glinda the Rogue or, you know, whoever you, whoever you end up being. Um, and that's you. And you can put your personality into that character and, those kind of things. So I'll always describe it as, as, as drama club or a storytelling game where the dice just kind of help us figure out if we succeed or fail. And you'll get a chance to roll a dice if you want to chop the goblin, or if you want to try to roll the log down the hill, Uh, everything will have a dice roll. You know, some, some might be easier than others. Some might not, might just have to roll a a two or better on the die 20. You know, they're almost guaranteed, but everybody remembers when the guy rolls the one in that situation. Um, and then for the young, the shy ones, and we have some of those shy ones as well, a lot of times just talking about their character. Usually the shy kids are very, they have great imaginations, I find. Mm-hmm. If you can kind of sit, sit down with them on a one-to-one, like that's how I'll start them off is they'll come in. I said, first, yeah, you're coming to D&D on Saturday. That's fantastic. The first thing we got to do is figure out what you want to, what kind of character you want to represent. So I'll give them examples of, you know, Legolas and different things from The Hobbit and, and other, you know, Prince Arthur and, and those kind of things and, and kind of describe the, the different classes. But also you already have kind of a feeling just knowing the kid, what their, what their personality would best suit. So you try to lean them in that direction. And I let them pick. And then the thing that really hooks them is I'll always find a character portrait online somewhere for that character. And I'll oh, make the character cool. for them. We don't, they don't roll the dice to create the character. I always create the character and a little bit of a backstory that fits our... You're- but you're creating like 400 characters. How are you doing? Or well, I guess I, I not, not for the older kids. But it's the over intro. 10 years, right? So it's not that hard to create characters. Um, I I usually just create them from people that I envision in that world. And I and like I said, I do a lot of DMing, and a lot of a lot of my life is is this kind of stuff. So I live in that fantasy world more than I live in the real world, and that's probably an advantage. Yeah. So. With kids as young as six, like what kind of character sheet are you giving them? Because that seems like, I mean, they can't have character sheet, but yeah, standard character sheet, but we focus on certain areas and a lot of stuff is handled behind the screen by our DMs. So at the beginning of the game, they will take different stats. They'll go around the table and get hit points, get armor class, get things that they need. What's your plus versus, you know, all those kind of things. They'll get that. We have a, a table that they just fill that in. Our young DMs fill that in. And then they can help the youngest kids. The youngest kids just say, do you want, I just, you know, you'll ask them, do they want to chop the goblin? Okay, well, you need, you need to roll 11 on the dice. 
and you make it that simple. And that way they're not having to struggle looking through their sheet and feeling bad if they can't read very well. Most of the stuff is already controlled. And usually those youngest players, we will seat them beside someone that's been playing for a while that can help them locate those things on their page, help them, um, you know, make decisions if they're, if they're unsure. But in the end, we, we like them to still make their decision. It has to be their decision in the end what to do. So you can guide them, but you can't play their character for them. No. And it no, works I, out great. I mean, one game in and those kids are, I, we haven't, I don't, I can't recall very many kids saying, no, this isn't for me. I don't like it. You know, it's, it's usually, I can't, they can't stop talking about it. And mom has to hear about it from the minute they get home till bedtime and how exciting it was. And we try to make our stories really exciting and, and, you know, really heroic. Being a hero is a, is an important job. So we try Mm -hmm. to make everybody get a chance to be a hero. Yeah. I think definitely giving them all that opportunity and that moment is like, it does wonders for your confidence. Like it it, it happened in a game, but it doesn't matter. You take it with you. Definitely. It's part of you. And I mean, great. If you make great decisions and your, and your, your peers are applauding you, you know what a great feeling Mm -hmm. that is for, for a six, seven, eight year old to, uh, to, to get the chance to be the hero and have everybody, you know, think they're, think that they were awesome because they all succeed together. Right. Right. So I guess conversely, how do you handle failures? Because also when you're that age, it's really hard to not succeed at something. And sometimes you don't indeed. They, yeah, they, they happen. And I mean, they even happen with the ladies of Hawthorne, but one thing that we do here is we've got, um, I took, this is something I took from fourth edition was the action point. So they'll all have a re-roll. Oh, so okay. they can use their point at whatever point. They, can, they might have points that they've got out of our, one of our machines or out of a gift bag from a birthday party, and they can share them with people that need them at the table. So if someone's making the epic roll, they've got a pretty good chance they're going to make it because they've got a re-roll. They might have their friends re-roll, you know, but you're letting them roll a dice. We do have failures, though, in the end. I mean, they're, we had uh, Tank Cole, son of Tank Cole, who was uh, – who passed away in, in a lava river and came back as the son of Tan Cole. But in the end, for those younger kids, it's about reading that. How is this player going to take, be able to manage this? How, yes. If it, some kids can handle it better than others. And so you try to tailor, I guess it's a little bit railroady as well, but for kids that seems the narration is more important and the end results more important right. in the grand scheme of things than it actually being a game. It's not much of a game. It's more of a, it's more a story time in the end. And that's right. what they, that's what they love. It's, you know, the, the, the actual number, hard and fast numbers and experience and, and there's no one that succeeds over someone else. No one wants to get the last blow in. They want, they just want to succeed as a group. And we kind of uh, have ingrained that into, into the way it's played. You know, I don't know that any of these kids will be able to go play anywhere else because they're maybe they're, they're polluted to the, to the good time system here. I don't know, but um but they have fun and they keep coming back. So it has to be, we have to be doing something right. And we're in a small town and to have that percentage of the kids that live here yeah. wanting to play Dungeons <laughs> right? I mean, and their it's, moms too. <laughs> it's, it's normal in Prince Rupert to, to talk about Dungeons Dragons to play Dungeons Dragons. Our mayor comes and plays in our special events uh, with the kids. I mean, I walk down the street dressed up like in full armor, like an elf and no, nobody phones police. You know, like a, it's uh, it's just nor- it's kind of we've made it normal here over the past decade, and everybody's kind of the town's cheering us on, 
everybody wants their kids to be involved. Everybody, um, you know, it's, it's cool to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's cool to sword fight. I would be really interested to see if somebody should do a study on Prince Rupert, British Columbia, and another town anywhere about the same size, but that town doesn't have as big of a D&D population and just measure the happiness quotient (laughs) or just like the resilience of the people who live here versus the people who live here or like the, you know. I I can tell you just from from my experiences, I can see the kids that uh, play in, have played in our Dungeons and Dragons program and just the level of compassion they have, uh, the, the imagination, the enthusiasm, as opposed to, I see some kids that come in and have never, never had that experience and maybe just play Fortnite on an iPad. And you know, I can, I can tell the confidence. I've got kids that walk in here, like they own the store and look me, Hey, Robbie boy, high five, look me in the eye. And then I've got kids that struggle to stutter their name out and, and, you know, to an adult kind of thing, just because all they know is, is uh, Minecraft, you know, yeah. those kind of things. And, and I, you know, I, 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 I take it as a challenge. It's my challenge to try to break them of that and make them into awesome D&D players. I want everybody yeah. in my town to play Dungeons and Dragons, right? So. Well, I want everyone in my household, I'll start there, to play Dungeons and Dragons because my son is very into Fortnite right now. And it's, yeah. um, it's something that he can do with his best friend that he can't see in person, but they can FaceTime well, and, and now, play together. Yeah. So. That's fine. Definitely now the situation is yeah. very, very difficult and different around the world. So, I mean, there are parents that have to have to have some iPad time and watch some Netflix and those kind of things because you can't oh, yeah. send them out to do the things that they used to do. So, I mean, in my town right now, summer, that we're, we haven't had any cases in our little community. And so it's kind of opened up where I can, I can run summer camps. So we've got uh, social distancing in our D&D room. I've, I've got a larger D&D room now, so there is six feet between the players and a wow. common board in the middle. And the DM is the only one that kind of approaches the board and does things. And when it's your turn, you approach a board and, and then you sit back down kind of thing. So it's our D&D camps have worked and they've been full since the start of summer. But uh, the fact that we can do our sword fighting again, so many parents have reached out to me and you know thanked me and said how much more they appreciate it now, more so that their kids can get out. Like I had even my veteran kids. I'm like, dude, you guys are out of shape. What the hell? You know, kind of thing. Um, they just couldn't run, you know, that, yeah. last year and, and, it, and they were rusty. Their, their sword fighting skills were rusty as, I mean, I guess we're probably the only place on the planet where that is even a factor, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there we've got some of our sharpest uh, guys that have been sword fighting for six, seven years. And even they were a little rusty coming back, coming back to it. But, I absolutely love that. Oh, that's amazing. Parents love it. Parents just... What are you using for swords? Uh, well, we've got a, uh, a company called Epic Armory Canada, and they make a foam latex over okay. fiberglass weapon. And we sell them in the store, and we also have a kit for our summer camp so the kids that don't have their own can still come play. And I'll run, I'll run them hard for two hours. Like our field just down the street at our courthouse is huge. It's huge. So oh, doing flag capture so on there is, you know, for a six-year-old to run the flag from one end to the other is like amazing. But again, so, because they're having fun, they don't oh, realize it's exercise. Yeah, it's no, just, they love it. And they, and they want to do better all the time. So they, you know, they are good sword fighters. They know how to flank and they know their spring step and how to take a proper stance and so how to this fight isn't, with a shield and everything. Like, it's not guys, just if like I took these down guys there. anywhere else on the planet, they would decimate the kids there. Yeah, like you're actually teaching them skills and this is, oh, yeah, isn't just like just yeah. 
Yeah, I took a, I took a long other. sword fighting course, so I would have some some legitimacy when I'm teaching them how to stand and, and strike and things like that. Oh, my God. Um, okay. Well, I got to so, lead by example. I can't teach them sword fight and not be awesome sword fighter myself, right? Like, I guess. I yeah. appreciate your dedication to your craft. So do you use minis and um, terrain and stuff when, you, when you're playing with these kids or is it theater of the yeah, mind? Definitely, definitely for younger kids. Uh, they like the visuals. So yeah. you know, I have a lot of terrain that, I, well, and I've been doing it forever. So, you know, I've built up 35 years. I've been a DM. So I've got a lot of stuff. Um, we use the plastic minis. We use the, you know, the, the nosers, the deep cuts, and we paint. We have paint and keep days that are always full. So kids get to paint their, their personal characters and stuff and can then use oh, it for, for in, in play. But yeah, we've got a lot of, what I've got is I've got a crystal cast elevated kind of tabletop that goes on the table. So it keeps the minis and the terrain off the actual table. So the character sheets and stuff aren't where the minis are. And it really makes it a showcase kind of feel like you can see exactly what's going on. You can kind of immerse yourself. You don't get that question of, you know, where is the Noel Rob, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. everybody can see exactly. Sense. Can the Noel see you with his bow? Yeah. Look, there's no trees in the way, you know, you can check it out and, and yeah. see that stuff. So I think for Maybe. the youngest kids, uh, visuals are really, really like I, I know they love it when I have handouts, maps and riddles okay. and things like that, or a picture of the troglodyte, you know, instead of just, here's the right. figure, try to have the picture of the troglodyte there. Visuals are really important. The same for the ladies too. They don't come from a role, you know, like a theater of the mind role playing background. So they like having visuals and, and the better I can do the setup, the, the more appealing it is to everybody. I think we're going to have to have another session about the ladies of Hawthorne because I'm really the ladies of Hawthorne are awesome. They are. I think that sounds cool. Probably the most fun of, like, that I have DMing because I do all the all that all that DMing uh, for them, and they're they're amazing. They've been they've been the best part of D and D for me for a few years now. That's that's pretty amazing. Um, okay, one last question because sure. I know that there's a million questions, but I'll just I'll just ask you one more. Uh, in terms of pacing, so running the adventure for the younger kids, what? How do you pace things like between like um, the exploration and combat, and or is it does it vary group by group? It, it varies, but my general rule is uh, I like one good encounter in there, and I usually like that to be at the end, you know, the big dramatic mm-hmm. scene, or that could be a cliffhanger where they don't know what's what, how it ends come back next week and play you we're going to start right in the middle well, of that's that. a big cliffhanger yeah well, that, that gets them talking about it on a schoolyard all, all week oh right? yeah um so i try to have one encounter then we're going to include some catch-up narrative usually the narratives at the beginning it kind of gets everybody immersed in where they are why they're there you know maybe if they didn't play last week they don't understand who the big bad guy is they're after or or what what the goal of the mission is but that catch-up will usually reintroduce them to the story if it's a longer part story it kind of recaps where they've been and where they're going and that you know that can take anywhere 15 minutes in narration kind of thing just to get set the mood set the table and then i like to have some what i call encounters that aren't really encounters so they might be traps they might be skill checks they might just be important decisions to make and that'll play you know that'll play a small part in in the two and a half hours as well maybe in a half hour or 45 minutes of just important decisions and giving them, giving the players the feeling that their their decisions are important in the end result. And you know, give yeah. them, and I'll have a couple of options down the road for what happened. 
but you you don't want them to ever um, just kind of follow the storyline for the sake of following the storyline. You you want them to have ultimately the decision of where things end up. Now it might not be that that happens because seven other groups play and go one way, right? So that might never never come to fruition, but it, it sure makes it fun for the time that that group is playing. And, yeah. and really in the end, if everybody's having fun, you're doing it right. I don't care what edition you're using, what rules you're using, um, how good of a you know voice actor you are or, you know, character, you know, flamboyant character. If you wear a costume, you don't wear a costume. If everybody at the table is having fun, you're doing everything right. Okay. I actually lied. I do have one more quick question. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm how it, it came up when we were talking about encounters, but so how do they handle like actually like killing monsters? Well, like, I mean, are they like do they do you just be like you, he's dead? You cut his head off, blood went everywhere, or yeah, they, are they just they, like he ran like away? A, they like descriptions. So you know, I'm very good at descripting, uh, describing the situation, describing what happens, and even the same for the swords and sorcery when I'm explaining. You know what it what it's like when you're fighting without an arm. You know, like I'll have a graphic description of you know having your arm chopped off by an axe. But um, we try not. You know, I mean, we definitely, you know, usually fight monsters. So these are these are things that are you know there's not an ethics question a lot of the time when we're there. You know, they know that kobolds are bad. Kobolds have poisoned the well how many times? Killed how many farmers? Uh, you know, are always raiding the sheep, and so they know those are bad guys. They're not. Nobody has an option to play a kobold in our okay. in our setup, so there's no there's no compassion towards the kobolds. They 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 they're vermin. They're even though they're like little animals. Well, and yeah, people like them because they're cute. And we had we do have one one mom that has a baby kobold pet. So oh. I don't know how that's gonna it's gonna be a problem down the road somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah, I just always wonder like how they would handle. I guess, it, again, it could be group by group if you should just make the monster give up and run away or if they should actually kill it. Yeah. I, I mean, mean like some of them would be like, fight uh, it they, to the death, but I think other uh, ones would have a problem. It, their little community of Hawthorne has been hard done by by the the, the bad humanoids that are, live nearby that they have no love. There's no love loss when they get okay. to eliminate some of those gnolls. The gnolls have been a problem for nine years. They were one of the first problems that I wrote into the story. And the fact that they can never seem to get rid of the gnolls, they just have a, every player in our program hates gnolls, just hates those guys. You know, they, they've been, everybody's lost an NPC or a friend to a knoll raid. So, you know, you've built that animosity and that yeah. kind of right in there. Okay. So in a nutshell, kids, D&D, it is good for them. Definitely. They will learn from it. Um, don't, don't open up a rule book in front of them. Just, Wing it and use common sense. Yeah. Um, visuals are good. Treat them like adults, like you do in real life. Like yeah. run the same kind of game you would for their for their their parents. Yeah, I mean more more laughs, but yeah, yeah that's a you know, general scale it up and down. Um, character sheets actually give them a character sheet, but definitely. But nice thing is always have the character portrait first page. You know, big character, character portrait. portrait. Uh, that's awesome. And then lots of room notes because they'll take notes about stuff that has no relevance in the game. But, you know, don't don't it discourage that. Them. Let them let them write notes. Keep all the notes. No, I would encourage it. In fact, yeah, I might even give them pieces. all yeah, a notebook. Yeah, it's not much money, but, you know, make sure you know it's on there. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I could give them, like, actual props because I know they like props. Yeah. Um, like, to start off, like, create, like, a little, like, adventurer's backpack and, like, put a little notebook and pen and stuff in there and 
rations and okay you'll you'll find that your group will then everybody's going to want to be in your group and that's it's a good problem to have right it is a good problem i mean i want i want my kid to think i'm cool so if his friends think i am then that's the first step (laughs) a lot of the moms that play their kids like all the kids look up to the moms that play oh i bet and and if the kids if one of the kids' mom's playing and some other kid's mom's not playing, they look up to that kid because his mom plays, right? Like, it, nice. uh, it's got a, it's definitely got a cool factor. Oh, that's amazing. See, D&D is cool. You're cool we if do, you play. And we do a couple of really neat things where we um, will have our, what's called our holiday extravaganza, which will be a big sort of scenario, but the moms will play with the kids. Oh, I bet they We have that. mixed groups. That's usually when the mayor comes and plays and some other, you know, popular people around town <laughs> in on the action. My dad plays, you know, he's 80 years old and he gets in there too. And um, yeah, that that's always, it's always neat to see the moms interact or the ladies interact with the kids. It's just really, so, re- so they, great. those ladies are superheroes to those kids. So I think that we'll have to have you back because... There's more to talk about here. Um, you're a great, great resource. But where can people go to find out more about your summer camps and your store and just what you're doing in general? And Sure thing. We've got um, Good Times Games has a Facebook page, has its own dedicated Facebook page. My Facebook page, Rob Gruber, also has a lot of, you know, my work and my regular life are pretty much intertwined in the same. I live in a fantasy world. We do. We do so much stuff. Like I just finished fairy tale camp last week, which was wow. four, five, six, seven year old girls. And we made a uh, magic wand. We each met our own individual fairy. I wore a tutu. Those kind oh of Oh my things. God. So you can see all that stuff on my page as well. But those are, those are always full. Like last year, pre COVID, we would have 30 at those. We were, we have limits of eight this year, but we just do more of them so oh that everybody God. gets a chance to come. And they meet all my friends from the from the Feywild, and you know, as Elf King, I get to tell them that I met Tinkerbell and those little things like that, and makes oh. everybody go wild. And I got a unicorn too, Starhorn, my unicorn. Yeah, he, uh, he's a popular dude around here too. So, Incredible. but yeah, Rob, we're on Facebook, easy to find. We've also got our um, online store where you can see all of our summer camps uh, on there at uh, Good Dash times-games.myshopify.com and you can kind of look at some of the stuff on there but I think the easiest thing to do is just find us on Facebook and you know shoot me a message I'll tell you you know if anybody has any questions about what we talked about here today I I love talking about Dungeons and Dragons and our our Hawthorne and fantasy storytelling stuff that we do here so you know don't be shy reach out if you got a question you want you're trying to run something for your kids and uh, you just need an answer about something uh, I'll be able to help you out. Oh, that's really nice of you. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. And I know I should have looked it up beforehand, but I know that there was a feature about you in, in a Dragon Plus issue. Yeah. Yeah, there was um, a couple. People was, can they, look at. They, more recently, there was one about the Ladies of Hawthorne. They did, oh, cool. Okay. Uh, I think that was uh, Dragon Plus 26, I want to say. Okay. And then Dragon Plus 12 or 14 was... Um, an article about where I started out, which is a pretty interesting story as well. Like I wasn't, I didn't want to be a Dungeon Dragons player when I started out. It was my mom signing me up for a summer camp. Oh, yeah. And it comes full circle. Look yeah. Yeah. So uh, me and my friends learned to play, you know, we were 11 years old that summer. And, 
And now and, look and, at you. That, that changed our life, changed all of our lives. So. And and then in turn, you are now changing other people's lives. Yeah, for the better. Lucky I, I'm lucky I just get to be creative and use my imagination and my community totally backs me up. Yeah. It's, it's awesome feeling to you know, be, be appreciated by your, by your town. Well, you're doing great stuff there. I wish I could come visit. Maybe yeah, one day. to get here. Yeah. Far away. Like <laughs> um, but in the meantime, we will uh, take your advice and your inspiration and hopefully spread D&D to more kids that want to learn how to play it. Awesome. So thank you so much. This was, this hey, was thanks great. Thanks for having anyway. me. Like I said, I love talking about this stuff. All right. Well, I'd love to talk to you about it another time. Let's do it. All right. Uh, thank you, Rob. Um, people, everybody go uh, follow Rob on Facebook. And I mean, he's a wealth of information. So if you have questions, he's your guy. Wow, Shelly, that was a fantastic segment. I think so. You don't have any excuses anymore. You yes, need I, to jump I, in and do this with. You know, yes, I do. Oh, I guess I have thousands of them. <laughs> I have several. I have a note from from my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I have a doctor's excuse. <laughs> I got a note. Uh, <laughs> well, I really hope you jump into doing it uh, for for the kids because that's the most important. Yes, but he had some really really good advice and it was very practical and like huh yeah okay i can do that i'm on board we're getting closer guys we're getting closer um i cannot wait to speak to our guest gabe hicks uh uh because i have um some goblin friends who are looking for dating advice (laughs) and i think he might be be able the person uh to you know provide that guidance that they need (laughs) i agree let's let's not delay all right, well, let's get Gabe on the phone. Hey, everyone, let's welcome Gabe Hicks to Dragon Talk. Yay! Welcome. So excited. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I ha. Huh. So I've like I've I've listened to a lot of the shows. So I was like, ah, really? Yes, let's do it. Wow, that <laughs> surprises me. Yeah, I like. Well, I like. <laughs> I like podcasts, especially because I like something that I can have on that is background sound that interests me while I'm still being productive uh, because if I can hear other people talking and having a conversation it like feeds that social need in my head without mm. actually having to talk to people oh yeah <laughs> are yeah. you are you more of an introvert I'm not that's the problem but I I'm more of an introvert when it comes to like focusing on a piece of work mm. yes because I'm excited to talk about stuff after it's done but if it's in the middle I'm like let me get to a point where I want to talk about it yes I have I like silence when I'm working. Really? Like I know a lot of people will have music going or some background noise, but I no, I just I just live in the. Silence. I think silence relaxes me, and if I get too relaxed while I'm working, then I feel mm. like I lose focus. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, I would. Yes. For me, what's yes. really conducive to working is having my kids come and bug me every five minutes. That's helpful. You yeah. really get into the flow that way. Yeah, <laughs> I especially yeah, I like being it. asked. For to do things that <laughs> that small humans could actually do for themselves, yes. or um, perhaps they could ask the other able-bodied adult that lives in this house. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. that's getting too far into fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps you could make a sim based on that. 
there's there's a that's well, that, that's something that probably relates to something we'll talk Mom about sim. today. Ironically, well, there is a yeah. there's the dad dating sim. Excuse me. There's All right, a, let's just jump in. What? <laughs> so there's there's a dad dating sim called Dream Daddy, and it's funny because oh, yeah. I, I cosplay as one of the characters like regularly because he is he is a dad that has glasses the same as I do, dreadlocks, has a thing for coffee, plays the piano, and. I, I do all of those things. I don't have a child, but it, I don't think it matters at this point on the internet anymore. Like I've, no. I've accidentally adopted people at this point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> accidentally. Yeah, I've, I've had people be like, "Will you be my dad?" And then ask me for advice, and I'm like, "Whatever, I'm sure, yes." You know what? You go with like, the blue one. Do you, <laughs> you could just say you don't have to just ask dads for advice. I could just be your friend. I don't want to be their friend because then that gets weird. <laughs> Being their dad, their adoptive dad isn't weird. Hmm. You got me there. <laughs> you got me there. I mean, unless it's like all part of the cosplay. Like you're, you're really in character. It, it really it really is. Because it's, well, the nice thing is that dad is like, he makes, he makes bad puns and he's really awkward. And I'm like, that's just me. It's really easy to be this yeah, person. You don't need to be a dad to do that, to make no. bad jokes. And, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I like that you uh, uh, stopped with the dad phrase with dad because if you're like, if someone was asking you to be your daddy, that's nope. that's very different. And that that has come up. That has come up. <laughs> I don't answer those messages. It's probably for the best. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, when the game first came out and like I did that costume, there was like a straight week that it just happened. And then I think I got desensitized to it because I'm like, oh, there's another one. All right. Oh, this one's about cheese. And uh- <laughs> Oh, that went up. Yeah, yeah. It was someone like was recommending me uh, things to do with smoked gouda, and I still have those recipes from like two years ago. That was one of the best messages I've ever gotten in my life. Yeah, see, no, I would appreciate that. That's constructive. That's informative. Yep. It's like you know, based on your interests. Did you mention what else can you do with smoked gouda? Why 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 was smoked gouda like the random thought that was? Oh, that had not, that did not come up. That was no, just, no. You, you just look said, like someone who would appreciate <laughs> some tips on what to do with yes, Gouda. Yes, yeah. And I was so okay with it. You're like, oh, geez. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know what? They're actually right. Let me see what they have to offer. <laughs> now that's someone that knows you better than you know Gosh. yourself. Yeah, I still talk to that person. <laughs> <laughs> they live in they live in Poland, but they're really nice. <laughs> Wow, I, that's really. Are they are they a cheese purveyor? Are they is it really like <laughs> are they a cheese influencer? Are they an influencer for the cheese industry? <laughs> After that first conversation, we have never talked about cheese. <laughs> cheese influencer. Yeah. I like. Wow, that'd be fun. I want to be a cheese be influencer. Yeah. Is it is it weird that like I feel like I can smell smoked gouda right no, now? Like no. I'm like. I'm triggered. I'm triggered in the best way. The smell of the, of the internet right now. It might be my dog. I, I don't feel know. Like, I feel like if you become a cheese influencer, it's a great way to become a wine influencer. Like, mm. I feel I could easily see that transition. Like, okay, yes. we like this wine brand. Let's try to hook you up. And then you just legitimately continuously have plates. Oh my gosh, it'd be a well, great thing to watch. Now I want to be a cheese necromancer as well. Like, like <laughs> Re- you'd be, resurrecting you'd be dealing with cheese. like the blue cheeses, the blue cheeses, yeah. right? The ones that are like already decaying a little bit, and how delicious they might be, and you like could... the stinkier foot. Like, oh, wow. this this is like ripe foot smell. You can use this, the smell to incapacitate people. 
I don't like that I'm convinced on this. <laughs> I don't I know. I feel like cheese design is wheels so turning real. right now. The wheels of cheese are turning. <laughs> <laughs> the wheels of brie. <laughs> you know, you can be a cheese influencer uh, at our local grocery store. Back when we used to be able to go into it, but they would they would <laughs> the have those times? in the before times. There was this adorable. I'm sure he's still there. Older man who used to wear like the red coat. Of mm-hmm. that, and he would stand there dealing cheese samples to you, and he knew everything about cheese. And one day, Bart went to that grocery store wearing a red jacket, and people were like, "Excuse me, can you please recommend a good Parmesan?" <laughs> can and I he say was the like, smoke Gouda is very good. <laughs> cheese has so many flavors, and especially recently, I've I've extended my cheese palette, and I think I had. I don't know. It, I went to visit one of my friends months ago and he was like, oh, Gabe, I have all these exotic cheeses. And I'm like, all right, sure. Um, mm. And I scooped one and I think it was like a smoked honey brie. Oh. And it was it was good, but there was like 12 things happening at once and I didn't know how to feel. And I think that that's one of the, that's one of the things that makes sense to me about why people focus on cheese. Because when you talk about people who try different things or say, ah, oh, you can taste the oak or you can taste the yeah. blades of grass or something. And I don't <laughs> always taste like the extended flavors to it. But cheese is something I feel like it's very easy to taste hints of anything. Mm. Yeah. 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 It like hits, on, hits on different levels of the of the taste buds yep. way better. Maybe because, I mean, because you're referring to wine when people are like, mm, this tastes yeah. like graphite. Yes. And I'm like, graphite, why the f- why would I want to taste <laughs> Do I want you? Why do you know that taste? (laughs) (laughs) What you didn't lick pencils when you were a kid? Yeah. Um, But yeah, no. I always thought those were suggestions. Like once people put it in your head as you're sniffing it or or drinking it, you're there. But like that's not true with cheese because it's all there and it stays on your tongue Mm -hmm. for a longer time, and so you can kind of experience it a little bit more. I love that we're doing a deep dive. I do too. Yeah. What it's can we do with cheese, a cheese-based D&D class? Now, I really well, do want to get this going. What can we take from like a good piece of cheese and all of those different notes and components you're talking about and compare that to like a really good narrative story? The Brie Lock. The Brie <laughs> <laughs> Your patron is... I love that you had an answer Allison Brie is your patron? <laughs> you know what? That's way better. That's way better. You could have a spell called Community. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god itself. it's right there you oh are going to be taking so many text notes tonight <laughs> <laughs> voice to text notes voice to text you're absolutely right <laughs> so if if hidden treasures yes. was a cheese yes what cheese would it be I think, I'm I think, ask I think it would be question. cheddar because cheddar is so widely used in different ways. When you have specific cheeses, uh, people will be like, yes, this is good for salad or like this is good by itself or this is like a good dessert cheese. But cheddar is something that you could have shredded, you could have sliced, you could have it in cubes by itself, mm-hmm. you could have uh, melted cheddar and then it's an entirely different experience powdered so, cheddar exactly so i think hidden treasures would be cheddar because it's familiar in a lot of ways uh i built it as a dating sim for people who have played those a visual novel for people who just like going through a story a game that has tabletop elements so like there's a strength stat and an intelligence stat and you have numbers to it and all it does is the computer picks a number between 1 and 20 and then it just adds that number to it to determine success or fail 
And mm-hmm. I even programmed it so it shows you what number you got. So you know if it was a success or fail. So that way, if you're like, next time you play through, like, okay, I'm going to intentionally make the stat lower because I want to see what happens when I fail on that thing. Mm. So there's a lot of elements that people will recognize and people will understand and there's different ways to approach it. Because I also, I had uh, outlines for what I wanted each like character's story and dates to be. Mm-hmm. But then I gave those to the writers, like, and I found different writers because I said, I don't want this game to be, this is all Gabe's writing. Right. Because if it's all my writing, then the different stories will all just feel like it's just me telling them to people. If uh, one of the characters is named Callow, who is a uh, goblin ranger, and he has a slash across his left eye, so he's blind in his left eye. And if I'm writing the story for him and uh, the barbarian character who is like, akin to a gentle giant i don't want there to be like crossover for how i have them speaking or how i have them reacting if i write callow and someone else writes the by like barbarian it feels like it's someone different telling the story and that's that's one of the things i've been the most proud of seeing the writers like take a hold of the ideas and bring it together that's like combining what people really love about Dungeons and Dragons yep. with this game is that it is a, a collaborative storytelling experience, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you're doing by, you know, making this with uh, with all those writers. And it's like like example with any tabletop game. That's why it's exciting playing with different DMs because you don't have to have a favorite DM. You can love the way this DM tells a story about combat. You can mm-hmm. love the way this DM tells a story about mystery. You can love the way this DM tells a story about romance. And you can go to those different people for the different things that you want. So then if you have different types of stories, it'll be like, I do like the way this one was done, or I like the way this one was done. It, we live in a world where variety is so readily available that I think we should let ourselves have it more in pretty much any facet of gaming. That's a really interesting thought. I mean, yeah. I know Shelly's been doing some interviews about how to DM, and one of the more recent ones was co-DMing. And that's a great way to bring what yep. you're talking about to at least the same, you know, kind of linear campaign. Yep. Something, something I've done even just for my home games. Um, so one of the other things that I, like, that I do is voice acting. And I've been voice acting for about a year and a half. And, and getting a part of that community, I met so many other people that love voice acting or do it. And I've reached out to at least 15, I think, people about just recording little lines for NPCs that I had in my campaign. Because if I had like a rant for the big bad, um, I have a voice in my head, but it doesn't mean I can do it for say. Or if oh I can, <laughs> <laughs> if I can, maybe there's, there's more tones that I want to it. Or if there's, if there's like a strong femme character and it's like, I could portray this, but I also don't want to make my voice sound like a stereotype. Mm. And I know like, I'm like, you know what? And I know that, Tara does an amazing, powerful voice. And then it's like just commissioning a couple of voice lines from them and then just playing the audio for my players. And then they're like, oh, wait, what? Now it's real. That is a fantastic idea. That's really cool. Yes. People, people love to be a part of other people's campaigns. If, yes. if it's like, by the way, I played that recording for the players and I thought they were going to fight. They ran. <laughs> because oh, you creeped yeah. them out so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I feel like even with you doing it, and uh, even unintentionally, you the way that you portray that voice would probably still convey some of what you want to happen in the story. So if it's just completely uh, objective, then yeah, the the story could go in any direction. Yeah. 
I love that idea. All right, Shelly, I think you got to start recording your voice and making it available for people. Uh, I it. think I like um, if you want like some um, C-3PO's in your game, <laughs> you might be able to help I hope, you out. I hope you know this. You cannot offer me that and think that I won't take you up on it. So when you play it for your players, they're going to go, no, wait, what was that supposed to be again? <laughs> You didn't actually pay for this, did you, Gabe? Yes, I did. Roll initiative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really... It, I, I forget the name of the service, but isn't there this service, uh, Cameo, where you can pay 150 bucks for Anthony Daniels or uh, Steve Gutenberg or anybody who's on it to do, record whatever you want them to. What if you did that? Oh, my God. You couldn't do it that much. Your money would run out, but there's a lot of rich people out there. Uh <laughs> What if you were doing that for your D&D campaign or at least you had like a villain line or something like that that you wanted to be able to do and all of a sudden yeah. you got Morgan Freeman to do it. Like that'd be amazing. Like I've, I've, I've thought about uh, and I don't, I don't have the time for it, at least not now. <laughs> um, but I've thought about especially people who are interested in voice acting or people who are just interested in involving themselves in role playing more, just setting up like a thing where someone's like, I'm looking for this kind of voice for a villain for my campaign and I just need them to record a couple lines. And if it's, if you gave someone like $10 to record maybe like two, three lines for your big bad that's just coming into the scene and you just play it, like it's, it's an awesome thing that you can have. Other people could use it if they wanted to. Yes. But then again, it's, it's less work for a person as a DM and, and one of the best things about having a pre-recorded thing is that players are less likely to interrupt. Oh. That's very true. Or, if, or make a little snide comment and break the immersion and all the fun stuff that yep. usually happens during a D&D game. If they're listening to a monologue that's not coming from the DM, they're like, oh, we have to sit and wait and see what everything is said now. <laughs> and they spent 150 bucks on this, so we better <laughs> yep, pay attention to it. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to cut off Morgan Freeman. Nope. nope. I'm, I'm him say his piece. We, might, we might have to fight, you know, Morgan Freeman, demigod lich, but whatever. Just let, let him get his piece out and then... Then we stab. That's, that is I, I love a really that idea. cool idea. So you were talking about coming up with like a, a marketplace for that type of thing? I was going to yeah. use the exact word marketplace. Yeah. Like a, you know, like hang up your bulletin and looking yep. for wow. Martin or Morgan Freeman type voice actor. You know who you should pitch that? And then, then we're getting into to business here. Uh, uh, ben Looms, who does I, yeah. uh, Sirenscape. Um, oh. Because he basically does that. You know, for the sound packs that he creates for, for for Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. Um, and you might even be able to, and he does. He sells things piecemeal, uh, usually by sound packs. But you could, yeah, that would be An amazing. And I pack. offer my services. No, uh, yeah, because especially um, getting confidence in role playing is way more difficult than I think we acknowledge in general mm. because you can have fun, but it doesn't mean you feel confident about what you did or like the character. And I think if it comes to running a game, not having that confidence means that you miss a lot of opportunities you could have had. Right. So if this helps bypass that concern about making this character real or intimidating or interesting, I think it would also incentivize more people to run games and run campaigns and, have more stories to tell. Yeah, yeah, and it could it would go some way towards combating the complaint that I've seen of some people where uh, watching a show like Critical Role, for example, that has voice mm -hmm. actors in it, and the voice acting is so good, and then wanting to jump in and play Dungeons and Dragons yep. and 
you know, having that feeling of like, hey, I'm not as good at at, at Matt Mercer is at doing these voices and things like that. Um, yeah, I never really ascribed to that because I'm like, hey, you can make make it your own, and you don't necessarily, yeah. you know, need to compare yourself to the highest bar in the land. It's not like every kid who's playing basketball is like, I'm never going to be like Michael Jordan, so screw it. You know, yeah. I'm never going to do anything. Yet. But at the same time, a lot of what you're talking about might overcome that, that hill, that that little hurdle, that mental hurdle. Even if you're like, all right, all I need to do as a dungeon master is get to this scene. I can play this, you know, badass recording that I, yep. you know, invested ten dollars in or whatever it is, and then okay, now I can play the scene after that, and that you're right, it might go a long yeah. way towards encouraging more more play. It even it even gives a voice for players in their head because it might be closer to what you wanted than what you can do. Mm. Um, one of one of the biggest, so I I do a lot of stuff under umbrella called Mythic Grove because, and I made that because I didn't want when I did things, I didn't want people to just see it as Gabe doing things mm. because there is. When you, if you have a presence in any sort of internet and you're doing things under your own name, people will only see you even if other people are involved. And I'm like, I don't want that. Um, so I started doing more stuff with Mythic Grove because there's so much that comes out of community input or community value or community creation, which is why a lot of industries and especially Dungeons and Dragons thrive. And trying to reinforce that one thing that I've done is I set up a, a Twitch channel because there are people who wanted to stream and they're like, I don't know who to reach out. And I'm like, all right, if, if I did like interviews, I talked to the people, I'm like, here's the key, do what you want to do. If bits come through, they're yours. I'll just keep track of it. That was, that was just one thing to do. That was nice. Um, another thing is we have been like setting up like a game jam for people to just create things and then put like supplements out or like put like little game ideas out because it's just incentivizing to them to do that. Mm. Um, one thing I did months ago was like, I, I did like, uh, I'm looking for someone to fill in a voice for a character thing. And I'm like, how would, how would you phrase this voice? And then a lot of people just did recordings and then some people were in comments like, oh, I like that. Do you mind if I use this? And they were talking to each other rather than like me having to be a liaison because when you make that conversation, it just happens. And I think... Mm. I think that's what I want to do the most. I want to make the conversation. I don't have to control the conversation. I don't have to guide the conversation. But if I can make the conversation, I can like get these people in the room to have the party. And then I can go somewhere else, but know that they're probably not going to tear each other apart. And if they do, it's the internet. So I can just block and delete and then go about my day. It's like, <laughs> it's like goblin matchmaking. Yeah. Yeah. But you're doing it for everybody. You're exactly. bringing people together, creators together and giving them a, a place to to create freely and, and yeah. give them, you know, Twitch can be overwhelming for somebody coming into it and not knowing the first thing about streaming, but you're, you're making it easy for them. I remember being terrified thinking that like anything I made was not going to be good enough for a single person to consume, which is, it's an understandable fear, but it's not a reasonable fear. How so? Because a lot of people, I mean, yeah. I, I believe you, but yes. I know a lot of, of people absolutely have that fear. Yeah. How, do, how do we know it's not reasonable? I'd say it's not reasonable because if you can look at something someone else made, why can't you assume someone would look at something you made and enjoy it? If, if you can ever have a moment where someone made something and you were like, oh, that's cool. You have no idea how nervous they may have been about making this thing. But you have the whole perception of like, this is awesome. Oh, this is cool. Or like, huh, that's neat. So the the concern that I had, it's it's understandable because it's 
self-value and self-worth, especially as a creation where we live in a world where in a competitive environment, we don't seem to acknowledge not everything has to be a competition. Mm. Right. And if, if I can look at something someone's made and be like, that's cool. I would like to make something that it, it reminds me of that. Someone else might be like, Gabe made that thing? That's cool. And then it can continue. Yeah. So I, you touched on something about creating, like saying, creating something because, to give someone the same feeling that you felt when you read something or played something or experienced something. Like that's mm-hmm. very generous. That's very wholesome. Like, and I think a lot of times creators feel maybe a little selfish or something or like like I'm putting this out there because I want affirmation because Mm -hmm. I want fame or whatever and it's it's really like uh, what how you just said it for for me like Greg and I are both we we write Greg has Mm -hmm. done stand-up comedy and all that and like I always tell people like I just want to put stories out there because I think people will relate to them and I I I think they will get a, a feeling of like somebody understands me Yep. They've been there too. And that yeah. that's it. Like I don't, you know, I, I don't care if I never make a dime off of it, if it, but but having people be able to say like, "Oh, thank you." Like yeah. I actually feel a little bit better because we have the same experience. Yep. I love that. I love the way that that you said that. Um, but it, but I think make, it takes a while. Cool yeah. But I think it takes a while to get to get yeah. out of your head and realize that um a lot of times I will remind myself when I'm reading a book and I'm like, this is amazing and I'll never write like this ever. But <laughs> yep. I re- I remind myself, I'm like, I wonder what the first draft looked like. You know, yeah. like this books go through a lot of editing and a lot of revision and years and years and years of work. And so do games. And so does like painting and anything that you're seeing. Like people aren't just cranking it out whole cloth and putting it out to the universe. It's There's a lot of work that goes into it. So you have to... Always remind yourself that, you know, it's yeah. a process. Let Do me, not compare yourself. Then. Okay. You may never write like that, but that's good because if you wrote like that, it wouldn't be your writing. It would be you emulating somebody else. You're right. It would not be true. It would not be genuine. So, yeah. God, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah, are you're, inspiring. You're touching something, too, where, where, I mean, that's a lot of what Dragon Talk is about, is about lifting yeah. up other voices and making sure that uh, there is focus on all the amazing projects that like the cathedral of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, can, can, can hold, you know, whether it's the narrative storytelling like you're doing uh, uh, or, or the music or anything like that, that people are are creating. I mean, at its best, that's what this community does for each other is, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, I want to try that. I'm going to mix that up with something else, an idea that I had in my sleep. And then all of a sudden it's a new thing. And then, Someone will take that thing and be inspired by it and move it and change it. And then all of a sudden it's got their own, you know, kind of personality tendrils through it. And then it becomes something completely different. Even though they might have been trying to emulate, as you were saying, yeah. it won't, it's never going to be a perfect copy. It's always going to have some of the personal, you know, touch to it. So even, um, even emulation or cosplay is an expression. Yeah. And so I, I can talk about it now because they announced they they gave me the okay to announce it because of just creating stuff and putting it out there. And when I created something, I was like, I like this. I hope someone else likes it. But if not, I made this for me. And then being able to put those things out there and create more and more, and then seeing people be excited about things that I made, and then like 
if I made or when I made money off of it. And then I was able to like make money so I could make more things and work with more people and do more. And it's gotten to the point where like, I, I had a, a part-time job that I was able to quit completely because I was making it up from this nice. a month and a half ago. And wow. I, yeah. Living, I, you are living the dream. Oh, it only gets better because, <laughs> so because of all the stuff I've been doing, I signed a contract with Roll20. And they have me as an in-house GM, joining one of their shows, running a GM tips show. Um, oh my God, amazing. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's it was it was the surreal moment because I was like, I've been using this system since 2014, like with my friends in libraries. <laughs> and now libraries. It's, uh, it's coming together. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. It's, it's, That's hard work, man. It is. It pays it, off. It, it, it really does. And I feel like we notice it when we're not looking around but then it's like a week later it's like oh i did do everything <laughs> yeah you do you get, give yourself some credit oh yes well how do you i, I have mean, been working my ass off here like every artist or creator you know i will get discouraged because i'm like oh man whatever i'm making or creating is crap or you know it's mm-hmm. not it's not good enough it's never gonna be worth anybody seeing the light of day of it on something mm-hmm. Um, how do you get past that as, as, as Gabe, you know, like how, how do you, cause I assume you're, you know, everybody, everybody has the yeah. same feeling. So like, yeah. what, what makes you feel like, all right, I just need to push past those somewhat irrational feelings to get to, you know, the inspiration that you need to kind of push forward. I literally just let myself get sad and I'm like, I already started this. I just need to finish it. Oh, just own if, the feeling. Yeah. It, if I try to make myself not have those feelings, it's just going to come back in another day and probably stronger. Mm. But if, if I'm like, all right, I have doubts about this thing. But once I finish this thing, my mind will be clear to work on the next one that I might like a little bit more. But if I don't finish this thing, I didn't commit. And if I don't commit, I might not con- commit to the next one or the next one. It doesn't have to be good, but it should be done. Before I start something else. Wow. Oh, so you, really? You don't you don't work on multiple things at once? I do, but if I've already started one, I feel obligated to at least reach a finishing point with one. Okay. Because then I'll archive it and I could archive it forever. Or I might forget about it because there's that new thing excitement, but new thing doesn't mean better. It's just the serotonin of something exciting and new. Yeah. Yes, it took me a really long time to realize that. I was like, you know what? I want to make this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. This thing seems a lot more fun than this thing, but I might have put like 40 hours into this one. And it only takes five more to finish it, but this thing is a whole new game. Mm. And this thing yeah. right here, when it's finished, could pay for this if I just finished it. Do you ever surprise yourself? Like when you force yourself to finish it, are you like, actually, this yeah. is pretty good? All the time. <laughs> All the time. I'm like, uh, what did I do recently? I I wrote an episode for a podcast and I'm like, this is this is gonna be lame. I'm gonna <laughs> do this. Whatever. And I'm like, all right, it's done. And I'm like, how did the beginning start? Oh God. Oh. And then I I it got to I I had a point where I was like, I I'm not I made a Google Drive uh and then I just like put it as a PDF and then put like a fake name. 
at the bottom is the signature. And I'm like, somebody sent me this. What do you think? And I like sent it to a couple people and the feedback oh, was wow. better than I expected. And I'm like, wow, I literally just had to finish this thing. It was way better than I thought. And I think, I think that's another perception. As we work on something longer, oh, we almost get like a skewed idea of the quality of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've gone back and look at stuff that I wrote 10, 15 years ago that I abandoned because I was like, yeah, this is crap. Don't worry about it. And I look at it, I'm like, oh man, that was actually really funny. There's, a, there's some good notes <laughs> I forgot, there. Because I forgot the jokes. So yeah. I was rereading it. And I'm like, oh man, I was really good. <laughs> what was I thinking? So uh, You oh, can trick on. yourself. Well, yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, it's that idea that like, as, as time goes by, we only get better, but it doesn't mean we weren't good or really good at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. I think another thing that is, is always a challenge for creators is to become objective critics of their mm-hmm. own work. Yep. Um, like, you know, the internal editor is often there while you're writing. And I always have yeah. to remind myself, like, not your time yet. We don't yep. need you yet. Just let me yep. get it out here. But it's also like, how, how, how do you objectively critique the work you're doing, especially in a world where there's so much content out there? Like, how do you stay true to, to your, your own voice and the, and the work and decide if it's good? I think I don't, I don't really objectively critique my work a lot. I had to change my perception. I can love this thing. Other people do not need to. Okay. Um, because I can write a story and it can be the best story that I ever feel like I could tell but that does not mean it is the best story for person A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It and you can still publish story. it. You can. Exactly. You'll, you still have a platform to put it out there. You're not waiting yep. for anyone to validate it. Nope. It might be the best for person H. It might not be the best for anyone that even sees it today or tomorrow or next week. But that one person that finds it a month later that sends me a message about it because they like that story, it's, it's a confirmation that I was not the only one that enjoyed this thing. And where I want that, I don't feel like I need it as much. Okay. But I know I'm allowed to want that still. Yeah, of course. And see, and that's also something that it takes a while for people to admit. Yeah. Like you, you can still want those things. You yeah. can still need those things. So even if it's, it's something that uh, you think is, is great, you put it out there. Is, is there ever anything that doesn't, make it to that point even? Or are you just like, oh, you need a little more time in the archives before? That that does happen a lot. I'll, as long as I, I feel like as long as I get to like a stopping point, like I, mm-hmm. if I finish a paragraph, I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I can come back to that because something that stops me is feeling like I'm not in the right place to do it. Um, I, yeah, that's a big part of it too, right? Being yeah. Right, not yeah. even just mental headspace, but just the bandwidth space to be able yep. to, devote to it because i can i can want this i can want it to be a quality piece and i if i know i'm not going to put quality to it that's i feel like that's an exception to when i put it aside because even if i don't have necessarily the motivation to do something i'll still sit down and do it because that's work that's life i know that i know that i can do it and if i have the energy to do it even if i don't have the motivation i can work through it and something is there. But if I if I know that I do it and it's not going to be quality, that's one of the biggest moments where I'm like, okay, maybe I will take a step back. But I don't even start something else. I just stop doing that thing. 
Because if I start something else, then I'm going to pick up on that train because it's something new. I'll get new traction in my head, but the traction is not in the same direction I needed to be going. To bring it back to um, to D and D a little bit, like I yeah. feel like I do that with every D and D session I run as yeah. a DM, where I that I mean that's the external deadline. It's like there are going to be people who are going to be you know mm-hmm. logging on at this specific time, and I can you know prep and think about what's going on. But what I love about this this medium or, or or playing you know D and D in general is just the like the immediacy of it. Like you have mm-hmm. to create, you have to make up stuff in order to keep the game running and, and, and going. And you know, I kind of ascribe to the to the lazy DM kind of way of thinking because that's the fun part for me. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to do the you know four hours of prep because I constantly am in that is this good enough zone uh, that's, that's, when I'm that's not playing. Perfect. Because even with like any any creating, especially with D and D, if you're the DM or you're the player, in situations like this, even if you're not entirely there, if other people are working with you, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Because when I'm working on projects by myself, like I will have to sometimes just stop and take a step back and just do something else. But if I'm like if I'm running a session and I don't know what should happen next, the players are often like, well, actually, you know what? I wonder what's in the tavern. And I'm like, oh, actually, I do wonder what's in the tavern. (laughs) (laughs) That's, it's, if you're a creator, I think one of the best things you can have is, I think working with a team in almost any aspect, even if it's one other person, could literally be your saving grace. Because even if, if you don't have the motivation, they might accidentally give you motivation. If you don't have the energy, they might be able to make up for it if they're filling up for it. If you don't feel like you're in the right creative headspace, sometimes something someone else does is what switches you back into it. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're in a boss fight and you're like, wow, this is hard, but it's not fun. And one of the players is, tries something that's totally ridiculous makes no sense but then like the arrow hits and it collides with something and they're like i wonder if it's going to do this make it happen it's it's interesting it's fun a lot of the fun we have in games at least for me it's not about difficulty it's about pleasant surprise and then like just confirmation of something working or not working because then the story can keep going anywhere. It can go uphill, it can go downhill, but there's a balance to it. If there's only one, with, without variety, it's, it's like eating bland food. We mm. could, but why would you want to? You could have some really bland cheese if you wanted. Yeah. But, but why? Or you could have but smoked why? Gouda. Boom! And the things you can do with smoke gouda, let me oh, tell you. Tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it comes back to the cheese. Yeah, it does. Uh, oh so I'm going to make a wild assumption that you didn't just discover games as an adult and you were like, oh, maybe I'll just work in this industry. Like, this is probably a lifelong passion of yours. Gaming? Yep. So, um... Now that you are in the games industry, mm-hmm. do you still love games? Yeah. Or do you? Or is it like, ugh, too much behind the nah. scenes? I know too much. I love it. I love it. Good. I love... I think my appreciation is even better because now I'm not just watching the show. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that animation was so smooth. 
or like, wow, that transition or like, wow, they planned this story, this narrative all came together. Um, looking at the minis, the things of people, like what people create or like the maps that people draw and put together. I have a new understanding and appreciation for the art and the artists. And it it's even more exciting, especially because now like I get to be a part of that process or if I'm seeing like this amazing thing, I'm like, I want to make something like that. And I don't have to, but it's like, it's that excitement just just being involved, being along for the ride. That's cool. Yeah. The only thing I've heard from people uh, or only type of games industry profession that ends up getting burnt out on games, uh, maybe this is just me, but is uh, is being a critic of games <laughs> means that oh. like you have to constantly form opinions quickly and, you know, it has definitely changed my... Uh, appreciation of longer games. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a more of a magpie now, where I have to be like, oh, I'll play this for an hour, and I'll play this for an hour, yeah. and I'll play for this for an hour because I have my head, my brain was always trained to like, okay, I can't spend too much time with one new thing because there's a deadline to write about the next game and going forward. Um, yeah. But what I like about what you're describing is like, if 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 you're coming at it from the creation side of of working on games, um, there's just always you know more flavors and more uh, uh, inspiration that you can get by playing other people's games. Yeah, because it, it, there's there's thousands and thousands of games of single genres, but they're all so different. They're all yeah. so different. And it's it's amazing to see what people can create. Because like even earlier, we were talking about um, the stuff that people do in Unreal Engine that I have no concept of how it works. But it's not stuff happening in real life. It's stuff that was created digitally. And even if I don't get it, it blows my mind because someone made this thing that feels real. Yeah. And I love that that's being used with, like, say, The Mandalorian, the way the, yeah. uh, they did the backgrounds was all done in Unreal Engine. And it's like, man, it's blending video games with movies even more so now so mm-hmm. that they're, mm-hmm. we're just creating things in a 3D space. That's going to be the one genre now, I think, yep. going forward. Yep. Fascinating. All right, so uh, I want to go back to the Goblin uh, yes. Dating Simulator. Let's make because sure we, we talk about this. I feel like there's romance and dating is something that is not always easy for Dungeon Masters to to incorporate in their games, but I think there's a lot of people who enjoy that gameplay. Mm-hmm. And funny uh, you say that, right? How so? How would you take all the things you've learned by you know creating that game, which is you know a dating sim in a fantasy universe? How could you incorporate some of that stuff in a, you know, a quote-unquote normal you know, D&D game? I will give you a short answer and then the long answer. The short answer is I actually have a book based on my Goblin Dating Sim that is a 5e supplement that I'm going to be putting out in October. Um, nice. Literally about uh, romancing NPCs and stuff because it, especially as a dungeon master, it's like, I don't know what this person likes. Um, <laughs> But one of the things, um, one of the things that I've like figured out for myself is, what is the what is the NPC's personality like? Um, does the player give them gifts? Are they kind? Like it, it, just considering an NPC as a person instead of an existing object in a world. And it's it's a whole different perception because when again when you're playing games, if you're like, oh, is this person romanceable? Uh, because with digital games, it's it's very yes, no. 
But with tabletop games, characters are significantly more alive because it's the improv, it's the narrative, it's always be driven. And one thing that's really worked for me is I literally just outright ask a, like a player, are they trying to flirt with someone? Are you trying to like, are you interested in this person? And if they're like, yes or no, then it's really easy. If, if they're like, nah, it's just, you know, like I wanted I'm to keep a drink. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wanted a cheaper drink. <laughs> Got it. Easy. Go ahead and roll the persuasion. We'll see if you can get your drink lowered. But if if they're like, yeah, you know what? Like, they're cool. They're tough. They can throw me over their shoulder. They can bench 200 pounds. Because then, especially if, especially if you're a player and you're like, I kind of want to romance that NPC. If you give your DM that notion ahead of time, then they can make that person come to life. Otherwise, it's really hard to plan that for, like, every person that they come across. Oh, they guess they're going to try to romance the 260-year-old wizard that lives in a stump. All right. Uh, let me just write that up. Oh, no, now they're romancing the werebear. Okay. So it's, it's like <laughs> it, just, just that, that simple question of, like, are you actually trying to romance this person? It lets me switch my brain to be like, okay, what is this person like? What do they like? Do they think the party sucks? <laughs> it's there's there's no perfect route for it, but I also I also like doing that sort of thing because it's never it's never the way video games work. It's not going to be like after the first conversation they're in love with you, and yeah. if they are, you should probably run because it's an incubus or a succubus or something else that will mo- probably try to stab you there's ulterior that's motives true. there that's yeah. true in real life as well that's, that's true that's true <laughs> yeah you got me there. my wife is a mimic i think uh, that's fair pretty sure <laughs> but you made it this long so i would just, I would just i'm, I'm it in it i'm yeah. in it to win it yeah who knows uh my kids are mimics too now i guess uh but i think what what's what i uh, is interesting about this is because i mean you mentioned about how there's different styles of games not everybody it's not for everyone mm-hmm. um but i wonder if more players would interact with that you know how, how do you how do you as a dungeon master say like i'm open to this type of role play or game mechanics without it becoming weird for lack of a better yeah. term you know yeah, yeah. like I, like I, this is not me the dm flirting with you the player this is yep. the character and i want to just kind of engage with that and then also be like hey i'm open to this you don't have to pursue it if you don't want to, but how do you put that in the world without making it seem, um, you know, like you're an, an, an abuser to be yeah, quite yeah, frank, no, that's right? fair. Um, one of the one of the first things like session zero, like if you want to romance an NPC or it's something you're interested in, just let me know. Um, and oftentimes when it gets to like a character that they're interested in, one of the biggest things for me is just a language change. I don't say. Um, I don't. I take the narrative of that NPC from first person to third person, hmm. so that it's not that they're talking to me; they're talking to the person. I'm like, and they smile at you. They have an interesting look in their eyes, and they tell you instead of like them saying like, "Oh, well, like, would you go and then come follow me?" It, it's it's changing the narrative so it's third person, so that they're one, they're not flirting with Gabe because that is so strange. Um, especially for everybody involved. And two, not... 
Another thing I had to relearn as a dungeon master, you don't have to say everything that the people say. You could literally just say, they look at you and give you a, a flirty response. I don't have to say exactly okay. that. I don't have to be like, ah, yes, I do enjoy the way you looked at my ankle. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I could just for fun, but it's not something that I have to do every time. And so like, right. the player was like, well, like, are, would you like to go on a date with me? She looks at you for a moment and she tells you yes. Because then it's, then it's a whole different thing. It's not that they are talking to Gabe about it. They're talking to the person. And Gabe is like the deity watching it happen. You are the person who passes the note back and forth too. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just, it, it, it makes it easier for me to just be a narrator just from that yeah. really simple language change. Yeah, I agree. It's it's simple but impactful. That yeah. immediately took the the weirdness out of it for me. Like I was yeah. just thinking, how would I want to broker a romantic deal between a player and an NPC yep. without it feeling like I'm in the middle? And then at honestly, after a certain point, I usually just take the reins, like I'm like, okay, if this is your partner now, where do you two go for a date? Uh how are they doing? Because then it becomes a part of their story. And I don't want to impact that story that's so important to them. Mm-hmm. It's, you don't have to have a dragon attack in the middle of that date on the picnic <laughs> in the park. I, so honestly, I do, I do ask about things like that. There was a circumstance we were playing a game and a character had a mentor. And I asked, how do you feel about your mentor dying because of this thing happening? And they were like, I'm actually okay with that. Hmm. And then it did happen in the story and none of the other players or characters knew, but because it was a character that was so important to the player and the player's character, I wanted to emphasize that firsthand because there are dozens of ways for a story to change that don't have to be death, but death can be a strong factor. And understandably, especially now, death is a very hard thing to manage And in games where we escape, making sure that that thing happening to something that has, or someone that has a close tie to a character that they're playing, that they're portraying, that they're living, if you give them a heads up of this possibility, if you give them almost like agency and control over it happening or not, then it's good. Because there's always a dozen things you don't know. The character Mm -hmm. that they may have bonded with, they may have bonded with because it reminds them of their father and they're not comfortable enough to tell you that. And I'm, I can't ask everything and I can't know everything. But if I, if I mentioned, do you mind if this person passes away? They're like, actually, if you don't mind, like I, I do have a strong connection to the NPC. Awesome. Not a problem. And then also it removes concern for something happening to these characters they can focus on enjoying the role play instead of like oh no this character is going to die and then they get stressed out because then it's it's not fun and then they're worrying and my job is not to make my players concerned about things my job is for us to have fun together telling a story because we trust each other that's awesome yeah. I like that you ask permission. Yeah, yeah. I like that so much. I had I had a situation where um, 
I had to make two NPCs for a campaign and then one of them died and the other betrayed us. And like, I was actually distraught because like I had, I had taken time, I'd like written backstories and like, I was personally like really invested in their stories. And then I was actively like really upset about it. And they're, they're just characters in a made up world, but like, even when we're kids, we have characters that are real to us, stories that affect us. Mm-hmm. If we didn't care about character stories, we wouldn't cry over movies because we right. know the characters aren't real, but we feel the emotions. And I like the, the question there that you, that you gave. It is very much like the mechanic of foreshadowing in narrative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where you're not, I mean, so I, I would, you know, I, I don't feel like it breaks any immersion or anything like that if you're, yeah. if you're doing that because... They don't know when it's going to happen. They don't know blah blah blah. Like, you, like you, you're still controlling a lot of the surprise or or anything that as the as a storyteller. But what you're doing is giving them the like, hey, this this might happen. Yep. And and as a as a reader or a viewer of media, I you know we we get that all the time. It happens mm-hmm. in so much of our movies that we don't even really realize that like, oh, this was hinted at in Act One that this character might have died at the end of this thing. But you know, that's essentially what you're talking about doing with yeah. with the players. You mentally prepare them, and if if they know that a character is going to die in a dramatic event, it also gives their character a moment to shine after it happens. They're not stuck, oh, what do I do next? It's like, okay, if my mentor is going to die, they might, like, I when I, when I asked them, and they, they said, yeah, I'm okay if he passes away, they had a dramatic, like, two-line moment ready for it. Yeah. Which was amazing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that's what and that's what storytellers and GMs and DMs do the best is when you're doing like a like a little bump, and then mm-hmm. it's up to the player or other people to to kind of spike that narrative home. And yeah. that's gotta you know everybody feels good when that happens, yeah. even the other players watching or the adversaries. They like seeing yeah. uh, it, it done well. So. Man, so, so Goblin Dating Sim. One of, the thi- <laughs> one of the things that I did in it is I figured out how to program it so that people could input their own things, like own words or phrases or moments. So, like, if for example, it asked you like who your father was, you could give a name to it, um, and then players would like characters would bring it up. And it's like, uh, so example, if you typed in my father's name is Alan, like, and you put that in the box, um, a so character might. Yeah, yeah. A character might um, say later, you know, like the relationship that you have with Alan, that's the kind of thing that I'm seeking to have with this person. Because then predetermining everything isn't always fun. We like games that give us choice and options and little options like that. It's like, oh, yeah, my character has a dad. My character has a dad who has a name. Oh, this is happy and sad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like all good stories yeah, yeah, yeah it's got a little bit of everything I am uh, as, as with so many of our guests I feel inspired I want to keep talking to you I, I want to keep going like forever because I think you know I don't want to speak for you Shelly but as a storyteller as well like I'm like oh man I want to just be throwing stuff uh, at your way and, and uh, uh, have you respond to it which is you know what, what a good D&D game is like too so I appreciate it so much, you being here, Gabe. I'm excited about years, the future for Roll20 uh, and the show. Do you know? Do you have know. any details about that that you can share? Or is it just yeah. like that it's happening? So it's, it's the, the Lost Mine, the Roll20 Present show that happens okay. on Mondays. 
I'm I'm joining uh, Monday as a Yonti wildfire druid oh. named Basim, which is short for basilisk. Sweet. Nice. All right, so so you'll be a player. A player. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Can't wait. And then um, hidden treasures. Yes. Is I it looks like you guys blew past your Kickstarter goal, but is that yeah. still that's still open for people uh, so to the Kickstarter is not open. There is a Patreon uh, okay. through Mythic Grove where I post uh, background updates. One of the rewards was a pinup calendar that we've done every month. <laughs> um, there's yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that you can find on Patreon uh, for hidden treasures updates. Okay, awesome. where do people go for that? Uh, Patreon.com slash Mythic Grove, M Y T H I C G R O V E, making sure that I can spell. Uh, I'm pretty sure good to test. Magic the Gathering has the trademark on Mythic as an adjective used in games, so we're gonna have to shut you down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I accept it. My dad's a lawyer, so I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Gauntlet throw. And here's yep. your counter suit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, how can people get in touch uh, uh, with you online or want to ask you anything or, or just find out all of the many, many projects you're working on? It's fair. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, the easiest way is Twitter. My Twitter is at Gabe James Games. Um, my DMs are open. I try to respond in a couple of days if I can, but Twitter's notification from my messages is not great sometimes because like if I'm not following someone, it doesn't alert me until I go to my message box and then there's like the message request and it's like four and I'm like, I didn't know there was one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, just just reach out to me on Twitter. I love talking about games, stuff, passion. If I can't help you figure out something, I might be able to direct you to someone that can because if I can give you the chance to create something, I'm happy to help. We I think like you'll be able it. to help people. Just uh, it's a sense that I get. That's that's all I want. I don't <laughs> I don't want to make it. I don't want to make so much money that I'm rich. I want to make enough that I can live and play games. That's a good goal. Yes. Um, you've and definitely help helped people. me. Yeah, me too. I'm getting out of my head. <laughs> nah, <it's, laughs> and I it's like real it nice. It's real it's nice out cool. here. Yeah. Awesome. It's Thank you so much, amazing. Gabe. Uh, we'll you are on again soon because I feel like there's so much more to jump into. Oh Definitely. yeah, I gave it like two months. I'm also working on three games of my own. It's sleep is a myth. <laughs> it's a mythic. It? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic, man. Love it. Dragon Talk each week has so many fun guests. I it's amazing how we're just constantly inspired uh, again and again. Uh, and uh, thank I, you, I, you, Gabe, for joining. I, I agree. What what a, a talented young man Gabe is. And yeah. I'm I'm super excited to to share all the great things that he's working on with our community. For sure. Yep. Um I am really excited about uh what's coming for our community when we're talking about the uh release of Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden in September. We've got, uh, uh, as we mentioned before, the Great Dal Moody D edition, Curse of Strahd revamped, and Here's a little hint for those of you who are listening to this. There's going to be more stuff we're going to be announcing oh, yeah. very soon, too. Oh, yes. For this year. Yes. Perhaps even a massive Whoa, thing. stop right there. <laughs> you stop right there. Oh, how the tables have turned. 
I, I know, used right? to you used to say things and I'd be like No, I've always been so scared. You're very scared. I know. I, I am. It. Which is why it's very exciting. I can't And you know, to... like I can't do time travel, so I don't actually know like what week like things air, so I'm always confused. That's why even when you're like, No, no, it's totally safe, really. I still Just, get we gotta go eighty eight miles an hour and ah. we'll be fine. Be fine. But it's very exciting and it it's is. going to be talked about here on Dragon Talk Faux Show. Yep. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, we do appreciate all of you who download these episodes week in and week out. Uh, if you could spread the word to as many people as you can in your network, we would give you all high fives uh, if we were not in quarantine. Virtual <laughs> so high fives. Virtual high fives going around to all of you. Um, let people know about Dragon Talk on Spotify, on Google Play podcasts, whatever they call that now. I think they're changing the name of it again. Uh, Apple Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. Reviews make it even more accessible. Uh, So if you want to drop in a five-star review about how amazing Shelly's impressions are. Beep, uh, boop, beep. Gosh, man. Is Anthony Daniels here? I know, right? Did we get him on? I have no idea. That's just like the beeps and boops that... (laughs) C-3PO does, even though he doesn't. He talks normally. Never mind. Uh, we appreciate it. As do, you know, me and Shelly do, as do uh, Ryan Marth from Siren Sound and Lisa Carr from Siren Sound who produce the audio uh, and get everything going for Dragon Talk. Shout out to those two, uh, as well as Sean Mayofsky on the video side of things uh, for posting on YouTube's. Shelly, how can people get in touch with you? You can find me at on Twitter or Instagram at Shelly Moo. I am at Greg Tito on the Twitters and Greg dot, no, underscore Tito on the Instagrams. I've been posting a lot of pictures of uh, dragons there from WizKids Games, so check out those on Instagram if you can or are interested in seeing them in the wild. Yes, and I was going to say I do appreciate the, the photo shoots that you've been doing with them. They're super fun. I really like it. Uh, yes. It's really made it, uh, you know, I want to tell some stories with them, right? So they're, they're having like, you know, battles with adventurers and whatnot. It's been super yes, fun. Yes, it looks good. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find out about all the products that we're talking about here in the D&D world, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Tons of things are happening there as well as on Dragon Plus. Download that to your phone uh, Android, iPhone, or you can get that content on dragonmag.com and there is tons of fantastic previews, interviews, information from our partners, uh, including WizKids about all the things that they are working on. Uh, so uh, jump in. There's no excuse not to be getting that hot, free content out there. Oh, I just touched it. Ooh, burn. burn myself. Burn. Sick burn. Uh, cool. All right. Well, last but not least... Drunky yeah. Two Shoes has been chasing after her long lost litter mate, Daryl Two Shoes. Uh, you were accosted uh, outside of a wood by a figure who looked like your brother but did not actually appear to be your brother and then disappeared. Uh, and you traveled to a seaside village town mm-hmm. um, and were trying to find out more about it. And you were asking a little girl who looked at you and said that he, she remembered a cloak. Uh, and then you started bargaining with the mother to get more information. She remembered a kitty, someone a who looked like me. Wasn't, that's right. Right? Yes. Because that's, okay. Okay, okay. And I offered mom um, 
a couple of silver pieces to have a just a quick conversation with me. And she was all like, not enough. Mm-mm. I think okay. you rolled pretty low on your persuasion check, if I, I remember correctly. All right, so I pull out a couple of two gold pieces. Two this gold pieces. I, this is so all I have. Her, her eyes go wide uh, when she sees those coins. This is and really she says, important. You're, 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 who you're looking for exactly again? And I pull out a picture of me. That you quickly and draw <laughs> on a piece of uh, no, it's like paper a and pencil. like a cool like one of those little Instamax like cute ones with a filter. No, um, yeah, <laughs> I have it's a magic. drawing. We'll just say it's of, magic. You it's did. a magic photo of of Daryl and I together, looking like just cute brother and sister adventuring team. This mm. is my brother Daryl. Well, you do. Looks similar. I can see that. Uh, but my daughter is right. We did see one of your kind uh, a, a few days ago. Uh, seemed to take a, a, a ship and and leave this village. I believe it was the uh, the Hawks Down. That's the ship. That was the name of the ship. Yeah, it docks here, you know, fairly regularly. Okay. Do you know its destination? Uh, I believe they're uh, Water Davian. An origin. Okay. Drunk, but, he has no idea. But that's that just, is. you know, they're from Waterdeep. Oh, okay. I can go. Okay. All right. Is, do you know anyone who, who works on that ship that I, I could maybe talk to? Do you know anyone? Um, she's scratching her head. She's like, I, uh, it's really, you know, we don't have ships come too often, but um, that's the only reason why I remember it. But uh, I, you might, you might have better luck talking to the harbor master. I'm gonna go talk to the harbor master. You're wonderful. She takes uh, the uh, the two gold pieces you offered. Enjoy your bread. Thank you. And then I do like a nice little pluck on the chin to the the little girl. She giggles. I I don't want her to be afraid of Tabaxi. Um, I want her to know we're good people. Good. Do you kitties. say that? Yes. We're good, good kitties. I, I know kitties are good. Aww. Okay. Uh, and the woman says, I thank you. This uh, will go a long way towards uh, feeding my family. And you are an honorable people. Oh. Drunky actually feels a little emotional and feels happy for actually helping people. Oh. You yeah. gain inspiration. Oh. <gasps> Really? It's my first inspiration. You've been inspired, and that's where Thank we will you. end. Uh, Dragon Talk, we'll pick it up next week. What is going to happen? I don't know. I don't know, but I actually feel hopeful for the first time since we started this adventure. Daryl might be on the horizon. Maybe and he's water, in Waterdeep. Water Davian know. is the correct term for water, people of Waterdeep? Yes. Wow. I mean, I could have, I guess, figured that out with water in the title, but... So fancy. It's very fancy. Okay. Well, perhaps you will travel to Waterdeep one day. Oh, I'm going. Drunky. Maybe there'll be some things to drink there. Yummy. Yummy. Saucer of milk. Mm-hmm.